Lucky Land Casino asking people what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? Lucky? In line at the deli, I guess? Aha, in my dentist's office. More than once, actually. Do I have to say? Yes, you do. In the car before my kids' PTA meeting. Really? Yes. Excuse me, what's the weirdest place you've gotten lucky? I never win and tell. Well, there you have it. You can get lucky anywhere, playing at LuckyLandSlots.com. Play for free right now. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Talk Recorded live. Blinding Cow tutorial on how to write a worship song in five minutes or less. First off, chord progression. Now look, every good worship song only needs four chords. You can add an extra one in the bridge if you're feeling especially artistic, but you really only need just four. Just make sure that you play it really loud and that you have a lot of delay on the lead guitar. And if you're stuck on a chord progression, just try the classic first, fifth, minor sixth, fourth. If this terminology seems foreign to you, don't worry, we're sure you've heard it before. Sound familiar? Oh, and if you want your song to sound a little less uplifting and a little more convicting, try my next favorite, minor sixth, fourth, first, fifth. They'll never see it coming. Now that we've got the music down, we need some praiseworthy lyrics. Now, the lyrics don't need to be deep. They just need to be easy enough so that people can remember them by the second time they get to the chorus. Otherwise, the worship leader is going to be up there belting out tunes while everyone else is like... By the way, your song needs to rhyme, too. Now, don't get overwhelmed. I've got some worship song essentials right here. We'll start with an easy one. Hallelujah rhymes with hallelujah. This particular word is lots of fun because it's allowed to be repeated as many times as you want in the song, and there's no specific rules for its usage. Be creative. You know, sing a few syllables a couple times first before finishing with the powerful yah. And here's some other easy rhymes to get you started. Sing rhymes with king. Perfect love rhymes with always enough. Praise rhymes with days and grace. Heaven's gate rhymes with this place. And fire rhymes with desire. Oh, and don't forget that one thing in your song should always be on fire. Be it our hearts, our souls, this generation, just something needs to be in place. And if you're suffering from severe writer's block, just remember that it's perfectly fine to throw in a couple of lines from Amazing Grace just to add some archaic flair. Okay, so we've got the chords, we've got the music, now all we need is the riff. The riff is the set of notes that makes your worship song sound awesome. To create your riff, find your root chord in a D major shape on the guitar. And now it's easy, just move your pinky up and down. Try strumming it as a whole, or play it broken with some delay. And boom! Your song is officially cool. Oh, last tip. If you want your song to be youth conference ready, you can't forget the woes. All right, I think this thing is ready. Let's go test it out. Good morning, everybody. Time to worship God, okay? Here we go. Sing along if you know it.
Joel, and all I can ask is which one of you guys are doing your dishes? <laughs> uh, I'm actually printing some stuff up, so it may sound like a dishwasher. Uh, okay. So you're the offender. I am. Okay. I, I'm guilty. Okay. Well, it's all right. Oh, as uh, I try to get a decent level here. Okay, we're all right. We're pretty good. All right, we have with us today um, two individuals, and, and this isn't something unlike for me to do, but um, they've been listeners, but we've been talking and exchanging information for quite some time. And for some strange reason, this keeps on happening, but uh, there's two places that I, I talk to people the most from and have on as guests. For some strange reason, it's Canada and Texas. In this case, it's Texas, and we have with us Larry the Contractor Guy and Wayne the Pain. Uh, <laughs> well, I think they're both in and around uh, Boston, and we'll just leave it at that. So, uh, uh, Larry, how you doing? Doing great, thanks. Okay, and you've heard Larry before, and Wayne, uh, welcome. This is your first uh, trip on the Knoll, huh? It's my first official trip. Okay, we'll get it's you a non-caller. Oh, yeah, we'll get you a T-shirt or something. Yeah. Excellent. Yeah, hot damn. Uh, <laughs> I, I think uh, when we we do exchange a lot of information, actually, you guys send a lot. But there's something that seems to be foremost uh, in everyone's minds now, and for good reason, because this is not going to go away. It may be soft soaked for the rest of the year, but it's going to come back with a vengeance, and I think that's the financial situation that not only the United States finds itself in, but also pretty much uh, the, the, the uh, what would you call it, the, uh, the developed world. And uh, every day, I mean, uh, there's something new that's going on out there, and I think this is one of the greatest con jobs that we've ever experienced in our lifetimes, perhaps even in the uh, the 20th and 21st century. Uh, I'm going to throw it to you first, Larry. Um, this has a long history, too, and we might be seeing uh, a replay of the script that we, uh, that we know that at least our parents went through some time ago. And I'll leave it at that, but um, this may not be necessarily a new situation. Just one that they're playing over again, huh? Yeah, I, I hear a lot of uh, talk on, uh, about uh, socialism nowadays. They're talking about the bailout. Now the government getting involved in the bailout is socialism. Uh, and I think we need to define the terms because I think what's really happening, in fact, I know what's really happening, is not truly socialism. It's, uh, it's corporate socialism, perhaps, but it actually has another term. It's called fascism. Uh, I looked for a good definition of fascism, and I came up with one that fascism uh, is an economic system in which the power elite, uh, you can term them the oligarchy, employ the police power of the state to enforce the economic domination of privately owned cork cartels and corporations, both industrial and financial. And fascism can take many forms. Uh, in this country, it's, it's more or less been called corporatism, as in what FDR did uh, during the New Deal in the 1930s. Uh, it doesn't necessarily have to have a, a crackdown police state, as in... Uh, National Socialism in, in Germany in the 1930s and also in uh, Mussolini's Italy in the 20s and 30s, 40s. Uh, and I think that's, that's really what's happening right now with, uh, with the government going in and bailing out Wall Street. And uh, that's basically the way I see what's going on is, is our country is moving more toward a, a, uh, a full-blown fascist state. We've been moving in that direction through corporatism 
actually since the 1930s, and the uh, the banking establishment in Wall Street is just at this point in time becoming more powerful and uh, drawing more of uh, the wealth of this co uh, country into its into its clutches. Uh, uh, Wayne, for uh, for your part, as far as this goes on too, I mean, I know there's a lot of stuff I got from you. That also speaks to the financial situation, and I mean that—that's something that you've sent to me uh, throughout this whole time. Um, what are your thoughts as far as what's going on as well? Well, you know, it's interesting. I had a conversation with a gentleman today who's a good friend of mine. Manages um, portfolios for individuals in Austin, and. They had a partner meeting not too long ago to discuss the current state of, of things, and uh, this friend of mine brought up a topic that we've been discussing, and that was the SNL debacle of the 80s. Mm, that's right. And one of the things that he asked was, okay, we need to learn something from history here. You guys, the older partners, what was it like? What happened then? Can you give us any insight on how you know how you were able to stabilize your situation um, without losing your ass, so to speak, and make it through that? And one of the responses they said wasn't so much how they protected themselves; it was just more a statement of, of disbelief of practices by government agencies who would come in and. Uh, oversaw the restructuring of some of these savings and loan institutions. Pretty much, if you made it through the first crisis, then pretty much on a quarterly basis, the Fed would send in auditors, usually some, some kid right out of school, 25 years old, who would come into the, to these banks who participated in, in, uh, in bailout. They would just randomly choose of asset files, um, equity loans that they had, had lent out, real estate, they would say, okay, we have to discount this loan 50%, this file 50%, this file 50%, just across the board, just at random. Then come back to them and say, now you're undercapitalized. Your, your reserves are too low. You need to increase your, your base reserves by $10 million in a week or we're shutting you down. Now, I found that to be a very interesting thing because it, to me, it, it, also, it sounded like shakeout money, you know? If you don't participate, and if you don't borrow money from the Fed and pay interest to, to us, protection money, we're gonna take you out. And, and I look at it, with the government now getting into the financial institutions, I mean, there are essentially no investment banks anymore. They're all just banks. They're in the banks. They're in insurance. They're going to they're going to come in and dictate these similar sort of terms all over again. And it it's it's robbery. I mean, it's flat out robbery. <laughs> um, there's just really no two ways about it because the government saying if you don't do what we say, we're going to take everything that you have. And what I found interesting was a follow-up article just this week regarding the Community Bank Association, or I may be misquoting exactly 
their title, but um, it's a membership of community banks across the country, 5,000 memberships strong. Their vice president of communications made a statement saying, I haven't talked to anybody. I don't know of anybody, any of our banks, who want to participate in this bailout. They don't want the government's hands in, in, in their back pockets. They're all pushing back. And because most of them are tied into local community assets, which are, you know, they're solid, hard assets. People have paid. People are paying. There's good credit histories. Um, they're not seeing the default. They're not in these crazy, wild mortgage instruments that, you know, and far-out derivatives that are driving the prices and the variability of, of the market crazy, you know. Mm -hmm. But they're gonna, they are pushing hard to get in because, you know, once they do, it's, it's no different than the IMF going into the third world countries. You know? I, I wonder how many of them uh, know for a fact that their time is limited no matter what happens. Uh, I, I, it's, it's my opinion, and that's all that it is, although uh, I think it's somewhat educated, whatever that means, that there'll be some kind of peace before the year ends, but that the real bad stuff is going to happen next year. And I think a lot of these, a lot of these people are out there knowing that, that already the handwriting is on the wall and all they're doing is playing for a little time. Well, if, if that's true, because this whole government bailout, all of this money that's going to be infused, obviously is, is going to push forth inflation. I mean, there's no way to stop that. But what it doesn't do, it never addresses the fundamental need of infrastructure and job creation. It, it, none of it goes to that. It just goes to filter through the system, and just like any meal through your body, eventually it comes out, and that's it. There's, nothing, there's no hard asset remaining to give anything value. It's just a flush through the system. Um, I'm going to throw this out to both of you because I, I may have said a little bit about this uh, earlier this week with uh, maybe when the Collins brothers were on. Um, I found it astounding. But I got an audio file sent to me uh, that involved uh, uh, an interview between uh, a Jim Pavlava and uh, a Bud Burrell. I think it might still be on the financialsense.com website. And uh, it was sent to me by Freak Lemon, who's pretty astute when it comes to uh, financial matters. Yeah, he is. Yeah, and, and, you know, what, I mean, the guy, Burrell, that was in an interview, uh, just said, you know, I'm looking for something that's positive. I really want to be positive. He said, but everything in the world dictates that this is not a good deal and that we're in really deep sneakers. And the fact that it has become a, the bailiwick of many who are now are looking at what he calls electronic counterfeiting as the the new drug trafficking because you can make a ton of money. Uh, there's no wet work, really, like there is in drug running. Uh, and um, really what we're looking at is, is trading going on with no, no product. There's nothing there. Uh, and this is especially astounding, I guess, with gold and silver. And so this is all happening as well. It means business practices that, you know, that all of us don't really, what we don't engage in, probably aren't really aware it's going on. But this has been a real feast for, for who knows how many. And that's also contributing to the problem. So, um, and, like, and like they said, he goes, you know, there's no justice system to step in. The government's not, I mean, they, they, the government fake stepping in, obviously, but of course they're, 
What bothers me about them is they protect the ones who really run the country. So they're the ones that obviously sold themselves out to make believe, I mean, to, 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 uh, to present to the people that, well, we really run the show, when in essence they know they don't. So this is another thing that's going on. It's almost like a, a mega kiting uh, situation. Uh, and it, it doesn't look like it has any end in sight, except it brings the whole house of cards down. Uh, also, let me just ask you uh, real quickly, are, are either of you familiar with that Max Kaiser? No. All right, no. All right, play Kaiser in the these days. And he was, he's been explaining what's been going on worldwide. He says the world is awash in debt. But one quick example he gave is, uh, you know, he says what, what people are doing is they're borrowing money where it's nearly for free, say as in Japan, and then they take that money, they dump it in an Icelandic bank, and they immediately made a ton of money. It didn't do anything. Yeah. And that to me is, I mean, that to me is kind of like a kiting situation. Well, but it's all electronic, and people are making money, but there's no resource or product holding up the whole situation. Yeah, Larry. I was just going to say, it, it's really kind of like the 1930s all over again. And it's all done on purpose. It, it's the, uh, uh, Curtis Dahl, who was FDR's son-in-law, uh, wrote a book called My Exploited Father-in-Law. At any rate, he, he, he had a, uh, a quote in there that, that I wanted to read. It says, the depression was the calculated shearing of the public by the world money powers, triggered by the planned sudden shortage of supply of call money in New York money markets. The one world government leaders and their ever-close bankers have now acquired full control of the money and credit machinery of the U.S. via the creation of the privately owned Federal Reserve Bank. And I think that kind of sums it up. It's this is this is not an accident. This is not a result of incompetence. This is a move by what I would call the oligarchs, the power elite, or whatever you want to call them, uh, to to uh, shift more of the money into their hands and less of the money into the people's hands. And I think the whole idea is to hasten the one world government. Uh, I think the idea is to flatten out the economy of the United States. Well, they're making a huge profit. I mean, that's way. That's my take. When, when did a doll write that? I'm not sure. I'm not sure the year, but uh, I think it was probably in the 50s. Okay. I mean, that's interesting. And of course, you know, I have to laugh because uh, obviously FDR know exactly what the score was too. I mean, sure. and that's and even the quotes you get from Wilson and stuff. And that's another situation, much like what's happening again today. I mean, I think they're running the same pre-World War. In this case, three, right? Uh, well, actually, one and two scripts for World War Three, and of course, finances has to be part of that. It's interesting that in both cases, with, with the United States uh, understanding there might be war on the on the uh, horizon, uh, of course, they were told the people were told, oh, you know, we're not going to get into that war. And of course, bang, we got in war twice, and it was under a Democrat. And I, you know, you guys know I don't care about Republicans and Democrats, yeah. but it just seems interesting that probably we're going to have a Democratic regime come in, uh, and then all those people who think that's like a really for real situation will say, oh, happy days are here again, prosperity's just around the corner, we're going to get out of uh, Iraq, and it ain't going to happen, folks. I think Obama is, is kind of the, the modern-day uh, FDR. I, I think he's being set up by the Democratic Party. Uh, to be, you know, the uh, uh, the new version of, of FDR. You know, he's going to come riding in on the white horse to save us all from our economic doldrums. And and in reality, uh, he's just another hand puppet, just just as FDR really was. 
I, I want to get back to something that uh, you sent me, Wayne, too. But, you know, I, I'm, I haven't voted since 2000, and I have no intention of ever voting again. But, you know, even before they started doing these debates, well, since, especially since they started doing debates, uh, where it's just between the, uh, the certain parties' uh, potential nominees, or whether now it's between the two, uh, McCain and uh, Tuvac uh, Obama. Um, I, I sit here now, and I mean, it is pathetic. I mean, I'm, it's embarrassing to listen to these guys. Uh, it, you know, I mean, it's just so full of crap. And uh, I, I don't know, everybody's pumping this up as like the election of a generation and blah, blah, blah. But I take a look at these two characters, and it's, to me, it's like Tweedledee and Tweedledum. <laughs> Or dumber. Yeah, neither one of them are, you know. You can almost see the hand going up their back. Yeah. <laughs> you know? <laughs> well, I, you know, and, and I don't mean to hit Mc, uh, McCain any harder than um, Obama, but, you know, for all the veterans out there who think McCain's, you know, a right dude, um, a couple of years ago I did two interviews, one with the principal of the documentary and, and the other with the document documentary filmmaker of a documentary called Missing Presumed Dead. It was about one of, I think, five brothers who was looking for another of his brothers who was missing in action in Korea. And this guy never stopped looking for him. And there is, and, and you can go to YouTube and, pump, and pop in Missing Presumed Dead, and you'll hear veterans uh, organization leaders talk about McCain like, you know, like there could not be another person who cares less about getting our guys back or taking a look for anybody. Uh, and there was a scene where this guy Dumas, I think I, uh, the, the, uh, the uncle was the principal, the nephew was the documentary filmmaker. Both their names are Dumas. And it, whether it's Bob or Bill, I have forgotten right now, but one, you know, it doesn't really matter. Dumas is up in front of the Senate subcommittee you know, on uh, MIAs and KIAs, and Kerry's right there with him. Kerry and McCain were sitting together while Dumas was at the table with the microphone, you know the scenario, and was importuning them for the kind of help he needed. The two of them got up, turned their back on him, and walked out of the chambers. And here's this little man now, still fighting like a tiger for over 50 years, saying, sirs, sirs, and they kept on walking. America should see that. And, I mean, that only takes care of that piece of crap, Casper the friendly McCain. And, you know, and Obama, you know. So, I mean, that's when you really get down to the reality, which is what people don't deal with when they vote, you know, this guy is a piece of crap too, McCain. And, and Obama, you know, uh, I mean, you know, they, they say these platitudes. They, they talk about all this, you know, with such high-sounding rhetoric. And it's all a bunch of gas. And people get all into it. And every day now I go by lawns of people who have more and more signs, vote Obama, vote McCain, you know, and across the street from one another. And I'm saying to myself, you know, how much are the handlers just laughing their asses off when they do this tribal routine every four years, which is go and vote for a president like you really mean something. So, well, I think about it. I mean, our candidates aren't candidates. They're motivational speakers. <laughs> they suck at that, too. <laughs> well, well, to, to those in the know, 
Yeah, but for those in, those that are not in the know, obviously look look at the crowd, look at the reaction, I know. look at talk to your neighbor who's a staunch Democrat or Republican. You know, that's as far as you need to go. <laughs> but it's true. I mean, they get their rah rah. You can do it. We can win. Rah rah rah. Blah, 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 you know, and they fall for it hook, line, and sinker year after year, cycle after cycle, generation after generation. Yeah, the fact remains that neither one of the political parties represents anybody other than, than the elite. I mean, the, the common man in this country has no political party. That, that really represents you. There's, you know, you can vote for the left wing or the right wing of the same bird of prey. You know, right. you got a vulture there. You know, it's got quote a liberal wing and, and, and a conservative wing. You know, but it's still eating at the taxpayer. You know, oh, of course it is. I mean, the only thing that divides one party from another are social, emotion, highly charged social emotional issues that keep people purposely divided so they won't unite and figure it out. Exactly. Yeah, you know, they they keep the uh, a lot of the I hate to say it, but a lot of the evangelical Christians. Uh, they get them all fired up on social issues, especially abortion, et cetera, and and uh, they they've convinced them that you know the Democrats are you know are Satan's party. I mean they're doing all these things, and, and they get the Democrats all fired up to think the evangelical Christians are the you know the evil ones, and it's you know it, it's just a real crock, and it's it's it, you know and, and people can't ever uh, you know get together and understand that they're being they're being exploited. You know, it's very cynical. I mean, George well, Bush could care less about Christianity. Of course. But the left has their religious movement, too. It's called the environmental movement. Yeah, exactly. And, and, and you know, this this whole, you know, ostrac ostrac uh, being ostracized for driving a truck or something larger than, you know, a, a mail carrier, you, you know, somehow you are now... It, it's, it's the Crusades all over again. It's the Inquisition all over again. Heresy is returned. You get these people that are, you know, radical uh, environmentalists, you know, tree huggers to the max, you know, who want to kill somebody. You should know all about the a tree, you know. <laughs> Strange. Oh, it's true, though. I mean, they're just as radical on the left as they are on the right, and that's what... The whole polarization is there, and it works to a, to a T. Well, the, you know, and I've seen this happen, too, and then I finally got it, that the Republicans have always courted the evangelical vote, and they always run pro-life uh, in front of them. And they always say that, you know, that they'll do this, they'll do that, blah, blah, blah. And they've done this every election. And, of course, nothing ever happens. Now, I'm not saying that that issue should even be legislated. The whole bit about abortion, first of all, should not exist. And secondly, uh, I don't think it should be legislated. But they run that very emotional issue yeah. every single presidential election. And it has worked in getting uh, evangelicals to vote for the Republican uh, nominee when they overlook the other 99% of the issues which are a lot more, uh, I would say, catastrophic, beyond even abortion. Right. And it works every single time. And like you know, we throw that in with in gay marriage, too. We've got to bring that up all the time. You know, get people freaked out about that. Well, then the Republicans... I'm not for gay marriage, no. I'm not really how, worried about it in comparison to the economy, you know? And, and speaking of that, how well has the machine worked that people believe that 
the Republican Party is representative of conservative values of tight fiscal fiscal control. <laughs> when when your last think about this, I mean, going back to Reagan, all the way through Bush one and Bush two, you have run up the largest deficits in the country's history. You see, I, I heard a, a figure today that under Bush and the Bush administration from 2000 to 2008, that the the the, uh, the deficit has doubled. More than it's ten trillion now. Is it five trillion then? I, I I may have my figures wrong, but it's like that's fiscal conservatism. I mean, that's that's. Well, think about it. He has spent more money. He has spent more money in his administration than all other presidents combined. Right. Well, that's what I'm saying. I mean, we're we're, we're looking at fascism. We're looking at the you know the corporations and the government merging. You know, I would say that we're looking at at. Uh, you know, uh, just a huge amount of the taxpayers' money uh, being put into the pockets of, of the oligarchs. Well, you know, it's, it's, I don't even think it's a merger anymore. I mean, I think it's been quite clear that the Robert Barron families, who, who uh, gained their untold wealth at the beginning of the 20th century, created tax-exempt foundations. Mm -hmm. uh, they're the ones that I would definitely identify as who really runs this country. They don't run for office, but now they've even they've gone beyond buying influence. They now tell the government whores, what they're going to do. And that's why, you know, I have no respect for these characters, uh, because these senators and most Congress people go out there and they know what the deal is. They make believe that like they're actually engaging in some kind of, like, dynamic process. And in essence, all they're doing is just shielding those who really run the country. And to me, they're more despicable than actually the, the power mongers, because the power mongers actually did something. These guys are just being rented to go out there and put on a show for us to make us feel like we have a process. Well, have you seen the uh, uh, video interview with uh, Edward Griffin and Norman Dodd? I saw the transcript. I've read the transcript. I have not. I didn't see the actual uh, you can, product. Yeah. yeah, you can go on Google or, or YouTube. I mean, he lays it right out there for you exactly what they're doing. And and he was part of the reef committee that was investigating tax-free foundations and what their purpose was and their influence on American society. Uh, excellent point because I was going to, I have said this a few times and I'm going to mention it again, that people ought to should, should pick up the book called Foundations, Their Power and Influence by Renee Wormser, who was uh, involved in legal counsel to both the Cox and the Reese committees that were trying, at least at that time, there was still some, some honest uh, representatives who were trying to figure out what in the world these taxes and foundations were getting at because it seemed extremely un-American to them. And every time both those both committees had on them plants from uh, Rockefeller and the Carnegie Foundations, I believe the gentleman's name, and it should be known because he's a piece of crap, and that's Wayne Hayes out of Ohio, did all he could to obstruct, obfuscate, and otherwise uh, kneecap the uh, investigations and did so successfully. So yeah. Wormser wrote this book, uh, uh, Foundations, Their Power and Influence. And just like you said about Norman Dodd, Wayne, this also takes a look at that very strange time when you probably can say whatever light was left on for those who were honest got extinguished right then and there. And since that time, yeah, and these guys are still running the show. Everybody's pumping their fists at, at, at those in D.C., but they really should go to Midtown Manhattan. Uh, and, and that's where those cats live uh, yeah. and, and do their business. And, of course, they also were the ones that were principal in starting the Council on Foreign Relations, where I guess you could say whatever policy this country follows uh, is uh, either concocted or tweaked 
and given to uh, whatever puppets are in D.C. to go ahead and implement. Uh, it ain't happening in the district, folks. There's nothing in there except, you know, don't look for the living amongst the dead. Now, Wayne, you said something interesting. Well, you didn't say something interesting, although you did allude to it earlier in the, sh in the show. But uh, you also sent me uh, some stats. And, you know, you, you said how short are the, are the Americans' uh, memory that we had this kind of semi-bailout back in the 80s. Do you want to speak to that a little bit? Because, again, yeah, it's, it's gone from our uh, radar screens. Well, I, I was just thinking about it the other day, and I, I had been watching different newscasts throughout the day, hearing explanations from experts, from analysts, et cetera, about, you know, what this is. I've heard some draw comparisons maybe to the Depression, the Great Depression, but I did not hear anybody draw any comparisons to the SNL crisis of the 80s. I just, it, it wasn't anywhere. And I, I kept waiting for somebody to draw that comparison because I could see at the base of it, you had, you know, devaluation of real estate and the pump, you know, just a cascading effect, which ultimately brought about, you know, the end, a complete restructuring, really of financial institutions and, and what instruments they could and could not participate in. And it brought government into the whole SNL industry and basically wiped it out. I mean, it's one-third the size it was 15, 20 years ago. That's a good point. A very good point. You know, I think that, that hit certain areas of the country worse than it did others. In the Northeast, I don't know how badly we were impacted. Um, I just don't remember having that ripple effect where we were, but certainly it seemed uh, that in the Midwest and the, and, and the Rocky Mountain West, and of course, when we're referring to, I'm thinking Nebraska and Colorado in particular, it must have been a, a real debacle. And of course, the camp writes about this to a certain extent in the Franklin cover-up. And, and who else was involved with this but uh, Neil Bush out in Colorado? Right. So, I mean, you know, here they are again. I tell you what, I don't think Colorado that... Colorado savings and loans, yep. wasn't that it? Uh, which oh, Silverado. Silverado. Yes, yeah. right. So, yeah, and I just, I, I thought the point was good is that you, you sent some stats out and that there was money pumped into the situation there to, to, as a bailout, and everyone's forgotten about it, and like you said, no one's alluded to it, but I have to laugh. I got in front of me uh, an email that uh, I-Man sent out, and... Uh, Oh, just in this one section, he goes, he goes, look how many times the money changes caused the same problem as we have now. He said in 1835, he said there was the wildcat, wildcat banking failures. In 1873, 38 years later, there was another um, uh, panic. In, in 1930, 57 years later, there was another panic. And here we are in 2008. And let's remember that next year is the 80th anniversary of the 29 stock market collapse. And I think that it's interesting that, you know, numerology has a certain kind of uh, uh, panache for these, uh, these robber baron families and, and the, uh, the Illuminists. And I just wonder if they're going to go ahead and drop it again uh, 80 years after they did it in 29. So, you know, well, I mean, one thing I think you can count on is that this infusion of cash is going to stabilize things, maybe even make things look a little better on paper for a short term. But when that dries up, it's toast. I mean, the whole thing falls. There's nothing left to hold it up. And by that time, the, the IMF 
they're going to come in and they're going to audit, and the U.S. bond is not going to be a triple-A grade anymore. It's going to probably drop down to an A-B or maybe even triple-B, which means you're going to have to pay much higher interest rates because you're, you're just a riskier security. The full faith and credit of the United States government has is the value is dwindling quickly. Yeah. I also want to read something too um, in uh, the I Man's article. He said, um, he said, uh, okay, you go same as today, folks. That's why a bank holiday closed all banks for six days, referring back to uh, I guess it was 33. He said so they could be licensed to deal with the enemy. That's us. It's still buried in 12 U.S.C. 95 A and B. If you care to research it, and while you're at it, pull 12 state uh, state 319 that made Americans the enemy of the Congress. Read it if you don't believe me. Ron Paul said to me that he would not repeal those laws if made president. Eliminating them would make us all the free people we were before Lincoln installed 12 Stat 319. I, I said state performance stat. 12 Stat 319. In 1862, under General Orders 100, also known as the Lever Code, under Francis Lever, which created the General Order 100 to control anyone from questioning the government. Why do you think they created the Fatherland Security here? It's the same as Hitler did in Germany. No difference, except different countries. The government is the biggest terrorist ever. So I-Man has confronted Ron Paul, and Paul said he would not um, repeal those two, uh, two laws. And, uh, and we don't have to go on any further about that. You know, that's why it's nice when he goes out there and says all kinds of nice things on TV, but it's somewhat um, branded as a, uh, a rogue or whatever. But deep down inside, he's, he's the same piece of crap as the rest of them in Congress. And, and that's why I mean, wrote what he wrote, because when it really gets down to the nitty-gritty, they won't pull the plug on the codes and the laws that have put us in a situation in which we are still, you know, today, and that is an enemy to the government and to the bankers. So, yeah. Well, Shakespeare was right, was he not? All the world's a stage. Yeah. And let's, first thing we do is kill all the lawyers. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we're all playing our part, and, and everybody in Congress plays their part. Yes. They're paid to play their part, you know? And it, however they lead their flock, they lead their flock, but it's never to the truth. No. And, and, Can I read, a, read a, a couple of short quotes? Sure. Uh, uh, Italian social critic uh, Gaetano Salvini, nothing like uh, hearing Italian spoken with a Texas accent. But anyway, <laughs> in, uh, in 1936, he wrote that corporatism, it is the state, i.e. the taxpayer, who has become responsible to private enterprise. In fascist Italy, the state pays for the blunders of private enterprise. Alphabet, he said, as long as business was good, profit remained to private initiative. But when the Depression came, the government added the loss to the taxpayer's burden. Profit is private and individual. Loss is public and social. And then uh, The Economist in 1935, uh, a British paper said uh, that corporatism only amounts to the establishment of a new and costly bureaucracy from which those industrialists that can spend the necessary amount can obtain almost anything they want and put into practice the worst kind of monopolistic practices at the expense of the little fellow who is squeezed out in the process. I think that pretty much sums up what's going on today. Uh, and you, you touched upon something that uh, was spoken about in another one of these uh, shows, I think it was probably BBC, 
uh, looking at the United States situation. And one of the, uh, there were three that were being uh, interviewed, and one of them had the, the parting shot and said, what we're looking at is the privatization of profits and the socialization of debt. And, and you both mentioned about the kind of numbers that they're throwing up there. But let's, let's, I mean, can we agree? I mean, what seems like to me is none of this money exists anyway. We're dealing with electrons, computers, and they can call this house a car any time they want to, or they can leave it go as, as long as they want to. In essence, we all talk about the Matrix and the Emperor's new clothes, but we're really dealing with a situation that certainly threatens and will enslave us for not only the rest of our lives, but for those who come uh, after us. And it doesn't even exist. Yeah. I mean, maybe I'm wrong about that, but I mean, it's like cotton candy. The way I see it is the engineer intends to wreck the train. Uh, uh, I think these guys are, are going to take whatever assets they have uh, and, and, and book, and they're going to you know, be sitting on the Riviera having bought you know, a villa or whatever they do and uh, sit, sit there and have a cocktail and laugh at the American public. And I think what's going to happen to this country is we're going to basically become a third world country. We're, we're going to kind of go into a, a modern version of feudalism. And uh, I, I think uh, war is, is inevitable. And I think that people will probably be put back to work by our new Roosevelt uh, slash Obama administration. And a lot of them be put back to work uh, on public works projects, just like Roosevelt yeah. did. Yep. And, yeah, you know. No, I was just I was just saying that what you're gonna see return of is is indentured servitude. No. Uh, almost you know a, sure. a dead prison. I mean yeah. Yeah. I mean that's essentially that's what you're gonna be looking at because at some point in time when you're over, you know, you've so far outspent yourself that you're insolvent. You're just, you don't have the assets to cover your debts. The government will step in and say, okay, well, you know, on behalf of so-and-so, you, now you can, you can get rid of this debt. You can cancel this debt by serving X amount here, there, wherever we send you. It's not like you have a choice in the matter. Right. Um, and you'll be in a barracks somewhere, uh, you know, and, and, uh, you know, locked in at night, and you'll work, you know, 10, 12, 14 hours a day. Um, yeah, I, I not, unlike, not unlike the towns that Henry Ford built, you know? Exactly. Exactly. I hadn't thought about it right. Um, as we conduct this interview in the wee small first minutes of a brand new day uh, on this Friday, uh, I just wanted to uh, cut in with late-breaking news. Uh, if you want to talk about real important events that mean something, the Red Sox have won in the bottom of the ninth. <laughs> the Red Sox have beat the double race. Oh, well, they're not the double race anymore. 8-7. And so the Red Sox live to play another day. <laughs> okay, now I get it. just it. Yeah, I got the old game cast thing going here. I love that. All right. So but I have to laugh, too, because you guys were talking about. And, and this, this came to mind when, do you remember the um, I-35 Minneapolis bridge collapse? Yeah. And there was also one a couple of years before that, if you remember the I-40 Arkansas bridge collapse. And it wasn't even years before, was it? I mean, it, no, was, it was probably just a year or so, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fairly close together. And I, I thought to myself back then, 
one of the things that none of us really talk about, because it seems not to be in the priority of matters, and maybe that's true, but that this whole interstate system and bridges and, and everything else, the infrastructure is decaying and in bad need of refurbishment. And I'm saying, well, they'll probably wait until they can finally start another WPA or a CCC. Right, and they'll have, and the reason I'm saying that, it, there are two things that, that uh, underpin that. One is that legislation that still has never been struck down since 2005, and that is the Universal National Service Act. Exactly. Right, which, which calls for compulsory service to the government, military or otherwise, <laughs> and they tweaked it from 18-year-olds to 25-year-olds to 18 to 42. 42, right. 42 or 45, or something like that. Uh, and I'm like, whatever. Okay. So you got that. And then I, I take a look at these other supposed volunteer organizations, like, you know, oh, what was the other, what was the one that I, uh, I always go back to? Oh, it's something core. I can't remember. Peach core? No. Oh, uh, but anyway, I, I have to laugh because it's all painted in red, white, and blue, and go out and volunteer. But we're going to reach a point where we're going to be volunteered to do stuff, and it ain't volunteering. It's being told exactly what your ass is going to do. And we're looking at that as well, and that's all out there to be done. Um, and so, yeah, I, I, I thought that there's a lot of stuff that's going to be held in advance until they can get themselves, as you call the Wayne, an indentured work crew. But, you know, you can argue that we were anyway. It's just that we didn't have manacles, and we didn't live behind bars, and we've had it pretty good. And I'm not complaining, but... You know, with, with the, the prosperity that Americans enjoyed throughout the 20th century, they jammed the needle deeper into their veins to bleed them of their revenue. So, you know, it's always been a bit of, uh, of slavery, but for obviously for other people in other parts of this, world, this country and the world, it's been a whole lot worse. But um, what's happening now, I think, is that the comfort zone is being uh, uh, worn away, and this attrition continues. And now, you know, working folks in the United States may not be working. And all that good, you know, good feel that they had is coming to an end. And now they're starting to realize where the pain is coming from. And it's going to be interesting to see what they do to keep the natives from getting restless. My guess is they need a major distraction, and that'll probably be um, a widened military uh, incursion in the, the Middle East, and, and probably another terror event. Right. Yeah. Well, I mean, ever since 9/11, I. I think people who, who get it realize that the war, that, that uh, the quote war on terror, uh, is, is going to be expanded. I mean, uh, just going into Iraq isn't the end. And anybody that thinks Obama's going to get us out of Iraq is just not really that well informed or, or thinking that, that clearly. Because it, it seems to me we're, we're headed for a world war. Uh, and one thing that's really frightening is when I realized that, that uh, Obama is uh, being advised by Zbigniew Brzezinski, who is, God, I mean, he, he's almost Satan incarnate. This, this guy is going to get us into a war with Russia. And if you remember the Third Reich, that kind of turned out to be their, uh, uh, their Waterloo. Uh, it, it was also... Speaking of Napoleon, I mean, Napoleon also found out that attacking Russia wasn't a real smart idea. But uh, this, this clown is, is, is determined uh, to get this country into a war, and, and God knows what kind of uh, 
tremendous uh, loss of life and and uh, uh, destruction. It could be the end of this country. I mean, oh. it probably will be the end of this country. Well, I think that's the whole point of this. Well, I think that's the whole point of the war. Yeah. One of them is, is now they're coming for the fourth right. And that would be us. Exactly. Uh, and uh, and Brzezinski obviously knows the game plan. Right. Uh, the fact that he's a, a familiar spirit in the ear of Obama just means to me that Obama's probably the one that's going to be selected on the first Tuesday in November. And, again, that's a really good idea because when people are upset and war is on the horizon, when you change an administration, everybody thinks, well, not everybody, because the Republicans will lament, of course, but the, but the Democrats and, and probably, you know, those who sit on the fence will all think, okay, we got a shot at, quote, change. And in essence, it won't. And all uh, Obama can say, we're going we're gonna to keep our people out of the war, just like Wilson did and Roosevelt did. But all you got to do is have, you know, a Lusitania event uh, or a Pearl Harbor event. And not to say we already haven't had one, but that's going to pale comparison to what's coming down the pike. And, and once we have that event, Obama can throw his hands up and say, well, listen, you know, I wanted to, but look what happened. Look what they did to us. And there you go again. Well, he's already kind of foreshadowed what he's going to do. He's going to expand the war. He was talking about, you know, he made a big deal about going after Osama bin Laden. You know, we're going to go to Pakistan. We're going to go to his cave. You know, we're going to, you know, we're going to smoke him out, whatever. I guess that was Bush's term, smoke him out. But, uh, you know, he's going to go get Osama bin Laden. He's going into Pakistan to get him. Well, you know, uh, uh, you're, you're talking about an expansion of the war. Well, I think what we're missing here, and I'm really, I think we're due for this, and I kind of am looking forward to it, is when they put out another one of those Obama tapes, yeah. I, I mean uh, Osama Bin Laden tapes, <laughs> you know, where he's like, he's got some backdrop behind him that's not there. I, I would love to see him do one, like, with, you know, six flags over uh, Ohio behind him, you know what I mean? The, like a roller coaster, yeah. and it was Obama yeah. with his, uh, his AK. <laughs> The CIA really needs to get, get to do a better job of those tapes, you know? Yeah, that rear screen projection doesn't work. They got a fat Osama, they got a skinny Osama. You know, I mean, his beard looks, you know, his, his real gray one time, and then it's darker the next time. You know, whatever backlot they do, you know, they they got to get better, you know, better casting. Would you like it if they stopped the, uh, the, the tape and they went uh, wardrobe? And somebody, somebody came running out with, like, you know, that little powder puff thing on him, yeah, you know? Yeah, did a little, did a little, little Yeah, little. and it with a color comb and something. Right. Okay, roll them. <laughs> yeah, mean, exactly. Oh, you know, yeah. we, were, we were talking a minute ago about short-term, the short-term memory of the, of the populace as a whole. And you, you just mentioned about change with the new administration and people being hopeful that, you know, we can pull out and concentrate domestically or whatever. But remember, it was in 2006, talk about short-term memory, the Democrats got put into, into Congress on the platform that we're just not going to fund the war anymore. Right. I mean, I mean, can you get any more forgetful than that? And, and yet you're going to usher a Democrat in. I mean, he's going to go in. I mean, it's like these people that were talking about, hey, when the Democrats get in there, they're going to stop this. The uh, exploitation and abuse that uh, that the Bush administration is doing to the people, you know, they're gonna they're gonna impeach him. Boy, we're gonna get him now, you know. And it's like uh, Pelosi, the first thing she, out of her mouth is, "Well, uh, you know, that's off the table. I'm sorry, we're not gonna." Oh, and like, but what you know, what was all this jive about? You know, stopping the Bush regime? What 
what was all this stuff about impeaching Bush, you know, for for uh, different uh, criminal acts? I mean, you could probably go down a list of things he's done that are illegal, you know, or nothing's going to pressure release. Yeah, yeah, it was a pressure release. It gave people hope. It you know allowed them to you know vent their frustration and say their thing, and then you know what? They're over it and they forget about it. Right. Right. Uh, what gets me is how many times can they jive the public? I quit voting in 1992. I voted for Ross Perot. You know, it was kind of an in-your-face thing. I kind of like Ross Perot. I thought it'd be fun to see. You know, I knew he wasn't going to win, but I thought it'd be fun just to, you know, as, as a protest. But, I mean, it was obvious, that, or it became obvious to me, I should say, that that uh, neither party represented me or the American people in general. And there was no point in, in me going through the idiotic exercise of standing in line so I could vote for people who could give a, you know, give a hoot about me, you know? Uh, well, remember, Ross Perot made his money from government contracts. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. So in essence, in essence, his bankrupt. In essence, his his whole campaign was financed by the American people. But wouldn't it have been fun to have him up there going, "This is really sad." <laughs> well, you know, I have those charts, man. Remember those charts? He oh yeah. <laughs> you know, and, and uh, I mean, you, you got to admit it would have been fun just you know to have him. He's as loony tuned as he was in a way, you know. But, but there you had a great example of using a third-party candidate to manipulate the election. Right. So they didn't have to worry about throwing it like they did in 2000 and 2004, where the handlers got very sloppy and then had to go and rig it. Yeah. Um, and I was going to do that, too. I mean, these are the days I didn't get it. I was going to vote for him, and when he quit, I said, that's, a, no, that's the end of that. And when he came back, I'm like, no, no, I don't think so. And they brought him back only because, obviously, they fathomed that uh, Daddy Bush was coming back. Um, strongly uh, in the American uh, on the American scene, and they had to again start to siphon votes away from Bush so Clinton could win, and of course that's what happened. Sure. Oh, speak of that love affair. Have you seen mm-hmm. the latest the latest um, um, foundation scam yep. they're running? Uh-huh. Yeah, him and this is what the third or the fourth one now. They had Katrina, they had tsunami relief, they uh-huh. had. Uh, I, I don't know. Maybe they're doing some Ike relief. I don't know. They're in some third world country right now, asking for billions yeah. for another relief. Bush and Clinton uh, together. Yeah. yeah, I know. And that that isn't such a strange uh, pair because uh, they had a great time up in Mena, Arkansas. You know. <laughs> well, it's like that. It's like that. It's like that video that I sent you this or uh, that link to with it on Larry King, where these two were doing an interview. Yeah. Uh, you know, promoting the Katrina fund, and they were talking about, yeah, you know, Bush is going, yeah, Bill's like he's like family. He's just like family. Our we our relationship we go back twenty something years. They do. Back to the time when he was, you know, governor of Arkansas. <laughs> well, yeah, I guess so. Yeah. You know, he was helping you bring drugs into this country. And, you know, it was interesting. Clinton made a slip, I thought, by stating, yeah, you know, uh, George has, has, has spent over 60 years in government service. I'm going, 60 years? He had to be 24, 25. That had to be right after World War II. I thought he was... Didn't he have his own oil company, Zapata Oil or something? Yeah. You know, that, that doesn't sound like government service to me. 
the first time I ever heard of George Bush was uh, when I was a kid when he ran for, uh, he was running for a Senate yeah. uh, against uh, Ralph Yarbrough, uh, who was a uh, liberal here in Texas, a liberal Democrat, and actually a pretty good guy. Anyway, uh, Bush ran against him, I believe it was in 64. And at that time, of course, uh, Bush uh, had a, uh, what was basically an oil man. That's what you know, the whole deal was. But uh, Ralph Yarbrough, you know, beat the pants off. Yep. And, and it, it took a while. I think 66, maybe he ran for Congress. But, uh, yeah, he, he was, uh, what was that? He would have been in his 40s, I guess. So, I mean, how could he have been in, in government service for 60 years? Yeah. Well, who knows? It was a very telling thing. Well, but, but then again, too, I mean, you know, uh, when did he, when did he uh, join in with the CIA? I mean, he said he wasn't in there in 63, and of course he was. And, and you know, you're right, too, Larry. This guy cannot get elected. I think he finally won one election. Well, he's, just, he's just not the most likable, interesting personality. Oh, you know? <laughs> <laughs> okay, no, i got to tell you something that just absolutely cracked me up. This one I remember. Uh, they interviewed Daddy Bush about um, the debates that would take place between um, Joe uh, DuPont Biden and uh, Sarah, Sarah Palin and about how you have to be careful. And I'm like, I'm thinking about Daddy Bush saying this stuff. Well, you know, it's a woman you're debating and all this. And I'm like, he, he is the guy. And I, Wayne, I think it, I, I'm going to pull some rank on you. You might be too young to remember this. Larry, you, you might remember this. I mean, not that you, I mean, you were old enough, but you're probably not thinking about politics. I'm never dirt this. Are you thinking about the Geraldine Ferraro? Yeah, when he came out, he goes, I kicked a little ass in there. <laughs> I do remember that. You do remember it? <laughs> his, 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 I sure do. Oh, yeah, Mr. Sensitive, he gets interviewed about Sarah Palin. No, yeah, it's 19, what, that, 1980? Oh, yeah. 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 And I had a crack, because when you said that, I go, well, George, you are twice the man she is. Did you read 
Um, I have to send you that article. There was an article where the Clinton campaign is filing suit against the Obama campaign again for part of this whole ACORN scandal in Ohio. Okay. For um, finding all of these uh, inappropriate, non-existent voter registrations, you know, like Mickey Mouse, et cetera. That there's like a hundred thousand of them that right now are in question, and the, and this was happening supposedly during the primaries. Well, so the other know. thing that's interesting, and like I said, that. well, with the, when I ride the, my bike in the afternoons, I listen to Rush, and I've been in this. I've done. I guess for seven, eight months now, I've gotten this little yeah, habit. He just simply listen to that gas bag. Well, you know what's interesting, though? You can, oh, without a doubt. But, I mean, <laughs> if, when, you, when you peer through all that stuff and all the sympathants that call in and go, oh, Megadino's Bush, uh, Rush, you're the, you know, you're the greatest thing since prophylactics. <laughs> you know, and when you get through all that, though, you know that this guy is manipulating the audience. And, and I've watched him change tacks. And, uh, you know, look, he's not, getting that, he's not getting paid that money to tell the truth. So he's obviously doing something. But you know what? One day it was interesting because he played sound bites across about three months of Nancy Pelosi stating and refusing to explain why she made the statement, you will never see an Obama-Clinton ticket. And she would not, and the best she would do to defend it, or explain it. She would say, "Well, I've been in this. I've been in this political game for quite a few years. I'm telling you, it's not going to happen." Never said why. So I can't understand what that was all about. If, if there was in fact in, in a, you know, if there was within the faction some kind of fighting or whatever, or you know, I don't know. But I mean, Hillary Clinton is not dead and forgotten or buried. And I, I still got to believe, you know. It, you know, with her also being involved in this continuum of the Bushes through the Clintons, you know, that she would have been, a, I don't know, something, a useful tool until maybe they could get back uh, and get Jeb into office, you know, in another four to eight years. The only thing I could speculate is that, that Hillary uh, and the Clintons and the Clinton, uh, you know, power base, that's, that's a power the power in the Democratic Party has just shifted away from them. And that Obama and his his uh, gang, or whatever you want to call it, have taken over from the Clintons. And, and, and they're just going down hard, just as hell about that. But uh, that's the only thing I could see. Uh, the only other thing I could speculate is that, and, and God forbid, and I'm not, I hope this does not happen, but uh, maybe Obama would be taken out and you know at, at some point uh, their, their stars could rise again I don't know and, and let's let's face it too much like Reagan was forced to take Daddy Bush uh, in 80 as his running mate right I have to laugh because if you want to talk about another long time veteran ward healer right. and that's Joe Biden who I mean when you look at him you know this guy this guy would like sell his mother, you know, a snowbank for real estate. Yeah. Oh sure. Oh, I mean, oh god, I mean, what? Oh sure. Paying more taxes is patriotic. Remember. He's such an idiot. I can't believe. I know. I know. But but you see, you know, at least they've stuck somebody in there, um, you know, who actually can get, you know, can get the ball rolling, who gets things done, because he's a long time uh, ghoul of a politician, and that's Biden. Just like LBJ, he can go in there and twist arms and 
kick butts and, and uh, yeah. he, he can threaten people with all the skeletons in, in their closet that he knows about. Uh, but he helped put there. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean he, LBJ was like that, man. You, you talk about a freaking politician. That dude, that dude wrote the book. Right. I mean, uh, it's, it's incredible. Well, and there you go. You have a situation where they knew LBJ wasn't electable. So they, right. so they used Kennedy, and, and of course, they pop Kennedy, and LBJ gets in there, and of course is, is very malleable. And the same situation with um, with Reagan and Bush. Bush was not electable, Reagan was, and then they try to kill Reagan, a la, you know, same thing with yeah. Kennedy, yeah. And, but it didn't work out. Uh, <laughs> well, I think Reagan got the message, and I think Bush was yeah. president for 12 years, without a doubt. Yeah, yeah, without a doubt. I, I just had a laugh, though, because as we were all pinned to our TVs after the shooting, and, it, and then Hay gets on the, uh, the podium, first of all, misstates where he is in the whole chain of command. But then I'm also, in control. Yeah, I'm in control. It's like, uh, uh, Alex, uh, <laughs> sit down now, back away from the podium, it's okay. You know? And then uh, and he immediately comes out and says, there's no, uh, there's no conspiracy. Okay. Here we go. And they well, should... Bush does the same thing when he goes to the UN, right? And we will not tolerate any outlandish conspiracy theories regarding the events of 9/11. Yeah, yeah. That, that's still a very interesting. Isn't, statement. isn't it interesting how Hinckley, uh, the Hinckley family, was very close friends with the Bush family, and that uh, you know they palled around together out in uh, was it Midland, and and uh, it's just kind of odd how how Hinckley just happens to be the the. Uh, the crazy brother, you know, the, the the crazy one in the family, and just happens to show up and and uh, right off this. Uh, and of course, you know, I, how many bodyguards were standing? How many how many Secret Service bodyguards were standing there? And this guy just walks up and takes a shot. You know, it's a little odd. Well, uh, you know, supposedly John Chancellor, when he was still doing NBC News, uh, made that connection, and it was never heard of again. The connection between the Hinckleys and the Bushes, and it was oh, like, oh, we're not doing that again. And uh, I mean, the, the, those two families were, were quite close. Yes, they were. And uh, it was Scott who was tight with Neil Bush uh, out in Denver. But right. you, can you imagine, though, the kind of, of cretins you're dealing with that would actually give up one of their sons as a Manchurian candidate? Right. And because, uh, you know, Barry Chambers always talks about the hit on Rabine and how you had the Manchurian candidate come up to him and shoot and apparently had no bullets. And then a bodyguard grabbed Rabine, you know, pounced on him in the back seat and shot him dead. And I'm not so sure, and Barry, I think it's kind of of the same mind that they use that same tactic with, uh, with Reagan. That they used the same tactic with Robert Kennedy. Sirhead, Sirhead wasn't the killer. He shot, but he was the Manchurian candidate. He was, he was a brainwashed, uh, you know, uh, patsy. And, and the shots that actually killed uh, Robert Kennedy came from behind. Thomas yeah. Noguchi, the, the, the coroner, said that, that the shot came from about six inches, you know, behind his, his, uh, his ear. Head. I mean, right. it's like, how, to, how, how could Sirhan Sirhan have killed him when he, he never got behind him and was never closer than about five feet? Also, uh, that just gets glossed over. You know, that didn't happen. And, well, you know. yeah, because of, it's because of Larry. Uh, that we had Joan Mellon come on uh, to talk about the book that she wrote, A Farewell to Justice. And one of the things we talked about with Joan, and, and this is also forgotten about, but, you know, they had another commission to uh, examine the Warren Committee, 
with a Warren Commission about the assassination of JFK, and the Senate Select uh, Committee came out with, yes, there was a conspiracy. They actually stated that in 77, and yet they said, but it wasn't any of these people. You know, Oswald, blah, blah, blah. And it was like, oh, great, you got a conspiracy, but all the, all the suspects are not suspects. Yeah. And then it just went away. And then they always want to hang it on the mob. Like as if the mob could cover everything up, you know. I know. I, you know, I, I don't doubt the mob was involved. I'm, I'm pretty sure they were. But I think the, they may have supplied a, a shooter. But I think that if the, uh, the the shooting of John Kennedy was done probably by, uh, it, it was a military-style ambush, and, and, it, and it probably involved several teams of shooters because they had to make damn sure they got him. Of course, you don't. Yeah, you don't. They, need, could, they couldn't have one guy do it. Yeah. You don't need killing a head of state to one guy with Sure, a, sure. I mean, because if you're not successful, you know, you'll you'll be swinging from a yard arm. I mean, it's it's uh, you know you you got to be successful when you're not treason. You know, somebody should both probably do a movie. Maybe they will. And again, it's, it'll be fiction. But what life would have been like if Kennedy hadn't been killed? That the, that the, the, the attempt had been made, but he wasn't killed. And what might have happened or not happened? No, I mean, we'll never know. But, uh, you know, it, it, it's interesting. And, of course, there is that uh, that movie, Winter Kills, with Jeff Bridges. And, of course, that whole thing is a, is a, a takeoff on the Kennedy assassination. And we were saying, you know, what kind of family would the Hinckley's be to give up their son as a Manchurian candidate? And Joe Kennedy might have known that his son was going to get whacked. And it's like, hey, Jack, it's all business. You know, it's only business. Right. Yeah, but we'll never know. And when you sent me, what, a five-parter, right, about that whole, about the whole Kennedy assassination. What was it called? Yeah. Revision um, of history? Re re um, revision of evidence. Right. Yes. Yeah. And, I mean, some excellent footage in there and some, you know, some things that you just not may not see or find in other places. And it gives you the advantage, I think, of um, visual input. Because oftentimes when you're talking about specific places and, and events and you're trying to put pieces together in a visual format, it helps to see what that is instead of just reading it, reading it in black and white. And I think this does a good, a good job of, of kind of giving you some behind-the-scenes things and uh, audio, video, and uh, stuff that's just kind of lost to history. Um, it's a telling tale. You, you, have, you can't help but come out of there asking a whole lot of questions. Yeah, one question that, that, that I've always uh, had to ask is why in the world were they trying to tell us that the shot that killed him came from behind when every single one of the doctors at Parkland Hospital in Dallas that saw his wounds said he had a very large wound in the right back side of his head. Well, it doesn't stand to reason if you got hit from behind that you've got this, you know, this large blown-out wound in the back of your head, and your face is is still intact. It just it does it defies the laws of physics. Well, you know? well, consider. Well, you figure at that time, you know, roughly half the population of the country was still rural, and most rural men, anyway. Um, watch partic participate in, in some sort of firearm activities, hunting or whatever. Every single one of them who has, who's ever worked with any kind of explosive munitions, hollow point or whatever, could tell you that striking any animal, 
the force of the projectile hitting you is going to drive you in a certain direction. And the entry hole will always be small, and the exit hole will always be expanded because the fragmentation of the, of the missile as it right. first enters, you know, impacts the bone. Sure. And it, it, it is never, that is the one thing that it, I, from the first time I saw the Zabruder film when I was young, it never made sense to me. I'm like, that, that's impossible. Right. That's impossible. It doesn't, it, doesn't, it doesn't match any empirical evidence I have ever experienced in my, in my life or any stories that I've heard of others. And not to lie, you get hit from behind and your head goes, you know, back and to the left. Remember what they sold to the American people. I mean, I was, I was 12. I just turned 12 when that happened. And they explained, oh, the head snapped back, you know, as a, re as a reaction to being hit from behind and then coming back again. And, and then, of course, you had all inspector go through that bizarre, surreal <laughs> explanation. And, but the people bought it. But, hey, but yeah, Arnold Inspector is in, is in the Senate today uh, just doing great. Well, you know, I'll tell you what, uh, he's never lost an election. And what I thought was really interesting, the last time he ran, it might have been 04, I, I, I think it was 04, he was getting his butt kicked by um, the challenger, a female, I remember. And I'm like, geez, Arlen's going to really, you know, get beat. <laughs> but late that night, uh -uh. Arlen won. Orleans always going to win because Orleans being paid back for doing yeoman's duty back in yeah, 1960s. He's got a silver bullet. Man. Yep. But you see, the American people bought that. But, I mean, how much can we laugh at them in 63 for this when, you know, you, you, you're telling people across the country that these two skyscrapers turned into powder because they were on fire. Right. And everybody yeah, bought it. Seven, which never was hit by a plane, had a small fire in one area of the building, just, just demolished. It, it, it just comes down looking a lot like a controlled demolition and just falls right neatly into its footprint. Well, yeah, uh, that makes sense. They got a guy down here who thankfully isn't syndicated across the whole country. He's out of Tampa. His name is Schnitt. And in the lineup that they have down here in Tampa, it goes back to Rush Limbaugh, to Schnitt. And Schnitt's an idiot. But, I mean, they, they, they tramped out uh, uh, Schnitt on a couple of times. To And, and this guy, you know, could not could not... He didn't know how to open a milk carton, let alone try to describe any kind of physics. And what he went through with saying, well, it was debris that flew off from the towers. Oh, Lord. And I'm like, well, what, you know, what happened to five and six in between? You know, it just jumped over them and hit, hit WTC-7. Right. But still in all, I mean, you know how many people in America, you know, if you went to a supermarket, how many people do you think you'd find, <laughs> you know, that would really believe that, that uh, something happened other than what the government told them to the mainstream? You know what I think it is, Biz, as well as that, is some of it's just ignorance, and people, but, but people don't want to believe it. No. They don't want to no. believe it was an inside job. They don't want to believe that the government could have been involved, because that just blows their entire, uh, yep. it, it blows, you know, their whole view of the world. That's right. Every, yeah, the reality is yeah, the reality turns into the same pyroclastic flow that went down Madison Avenue, you know? <laughs> they can't handle it, and, and I don't think they want to. And it's the same ruse that's put on by, you know, religion. It's the same ruse that's put on by foundations, this altruistic, we're here for your good, we're here to help you. It's it's the perfect facade. It, it you know, it plays to people's emotions and their hopes and you know, 
um, fears to some extent. Andy uh, and her from the, the Uticans and I just refer to it as the second level. And Mary Hartman spoke about this as well, that when you talk to people who think something kind of strange did take place in 9-11 and, and they're willing to listen, then what, I mean, what Hartman had said and what Andy and Herb and I said, you can see that they go to a point where they realize now that means then that the government is not my protector. And you can see it in their eyes, and they do not want to go to that place. No. And so they, they, they won't argue with you. They won't get nasty with you because, actually, they always thought something was strange. But when they realize what's at the core of this in this schema, they can't handle it. And that's what I think we're facing more and more today. That, and that's what Mary Hartman said when she realized that she could not go to law enforcement because they were part of the problem. And who do you go to? Nobody. And well, your whole view of reality is now shattered. I mean, people don't like indecision. They don't like the unfamiliar. They like comfort. Even when it's painful, they'd rather have painful um, predictability than they, than they would the unknown. And to go and shatter their whole, I mean, their whole world, their whole life is based on this, this premise, this propaganda premise that's been fed to them about these you know, demigods of, of forefathers and how this country is so great and how we are the bastion of, of freedom, liberty, and, and justice. You know, and, and it's so well indoctrinated. I mean, we talk about Soviet children or Chinese students and children being brainwashed into a certain way of thinking. Well, we're just as bad, if not worse. Yep. I think we're worse because... Uh, <laughs> The rest of the world looks at America. If you if you read any any uh, magazines or any kind of news uh, from from the rest of the world, they look at Americans as a bunch of naive fools, especially in relation to 9/11. Uh, it's it, it's commonly thought in Europe. At least I have a friend that that uh, lives in Europe and. and Commutes back and forth, and he said, "In Europe, everybody or, or most people believe that 9/11 was an inside job, that the American government uh, was involved uh, in an effort to uh, promote uh, war in the Middle East." You know, and, and that was, you know, that was the idea behind it was to kind of claim, uh, you know, uh, get America pumped up for for a war in the Middle East. And he said, uh, "People, people in Europe just don't buy into 9/11." Uh, you know, being Osama bin Laden and, you know, his his band of, of Saudi Arabian terrorists, you know, and, and the whole uh, the whole jive BS that, that we've been, you know, that's been shoved down our throats. Um, well, you know, it started with, with these not-for-profits. I mean, Mr. God made this perfectly clear that these foundations were set up to first alter the history of the way history is taught to American right. students to take over education and eventually take over the State Department. There, from that point, you erase all memory of history. You don't let people know where they come from, who they are, what they are, and you can mold them into anything that you want them to be because they have no roots. They have no, you know, it's a destruction of the family. It's a destruction of the culture. It's a destruction of the society. You then make people, it's, you know, it's hypnosis or brainwashing on a massive scale, yeah. on an enormous scale. Well, and, and that's why with the advent of cable TV and satellite TV and 24-7 mass media, uh, it only made the manipulation of the masses that much more effective. That's all that. 
Huh? And how effective is it? I mean, think about it. To be able to pull off the crimes that have been pulled off right in front of our eyes, time after time, to, and have it be successful. I mean, it, it ought to say, it ought to speak volumes about, you know, where the misplaced trust lies with, with the public, how, how indoctrinated they are into believing the grand lie. They're, they're, they, they bought it, hook, line, and sinker. Yeah. Um, and you can't wake me out of it. Well, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of. The, I'm not really a big fan of the Matrix, but uh, the movie did. You know, the red pill, blue pill thing. Kind of, uh, I, I could see a parallel between that and what is really going on in this country, as far as the propaganda machine and the and the image of America that we have fed to us as children. You know, time you're six years old in, in public school. You know, it's da 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 da. America is, you know, we're the greatest. We never do anything wrong, and you know, we're we're the bastion of freedom for the world, and everything we do is good. And you know, when I was a kid, it was the communist of those red bastards. <laughs> we're gonna get them, and you know, we're gonna make. This. Oh my God, I'm, I mean, when you, when you get a little older, you start to look, and you, you try to look at it objectively. You realize you've been sold a bill of goods. And it's and it's hard, and a lot of people just will not recognize that. Well, they don't want to recognize it. I mean, you can make a comedy out of this, and, and probably should do this. Well, you know the thing is, you say the pledge of allegiance. I've already done that. <laughs> I, you know, yeah. Every day, visit God, visits DC. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I mean, when you think about saying the pledge of allegiance your whole life, and then you realize who wrote it and what he had in mind. Oh, and, and it's like, you know, and, and, and when I don't say the pledge, it's like, what, well, are you a communist? It's like, well, no, actually, that's communist. When you do it, you hold out your hand in this fascist-style salute. Well, <laughs> and by the way, I don't know if you guys have ever gone there, but RexCurry.net, and that's Curry, C-U-R-R-Y, RexCurry.net. He is a pistol. He's a lawyer down here in Tampa. He has a site dedicated to nothing about uh, uh, well, all right, I'm speaking in the negative. His whole site is dedicated to the fascist pledge, the socialist <laughs> pledge by the Bellamy's, and what they had in mind, and how we just went ahead and did it. And he's got photos from the beginning of the 20th century, where you have all these children at the beginning of school day, huddling around the uh, flagpole where the flag was put up, extending their hands in the Roman salute while they said the Pledge of Allegiance. That's all forgotten and washed away now because obviously that salute and how it's been forever now uh, associated with the Nazis. But that's what everybody did before they put their hand over their heart. Where, what were they thinking about then? What are we yeah. thinking about when we say the pledge? And when you don't say the pledge and people say you're not patriotic, it's like I ain't pledging my ass to the state. You understand? And actually the Jehovah Witnesses have it right. You know, why in the world should any Christian take an oath? Because what are we told in Scripture? You know, take no oath to anything else. And what do we do? We pledge ourselves to the state. No. And then the whole thing with the flag and 50 pentagons, uh, pentagrams, rather. I mean, what's that about? I mean, so you look at the whole thing that we've gone through, and it's like, my goodness, just how replete, you know, the matrix has been, as you mentioned. And, you know, we never stop to think about the symbology, but it's there. It's always been there. You know, and then, it, 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 oh, I, let me just say this, just for a ho-ho, and, and we'll wrap this up. But, you know, we talk about the scams that per perpetrated on the American people, and, and uh, uh, you know, the emperor has no clothes. But I had a laugh because when the Rat Pack was in their heyday, 
you know, Dean Martin and Joey Bishop and all those guys. There was a part in the movie where I forget one of them was sitting with a with a woman, and he's married, right? But he's with this woman, who obviously is his mistress, and his wife like comes into this place, and she says, "Who's that woman next to you?" He goes, "What woman?" Who's that woman next to you? And he's going, what are you talking about? There's no woman here. And of course, the woman's right there. Right. Well, this is what's happened to us. I mean, that was funny, but it's not funny anymore. Yeah. You know, because that's exactly what has happened to us. We have failed to believe our eyes. Yeah. When we see that, you know, the behavior of the, of the collapses and all that, you know, or that planes disappear in like a, like a 10 by 15 hole. Yeah. And it's not funny anymore because that's what happened. People ceased to believe what they saw and believe what they were told to believe. Like Tom Brokaw, who's the worst of all those news whores, uh, with the Pentagon footage going, clearly you can see this was a 757. I'm like, no, I can't. I don't clearly see that, Tom. I see some blurry old thing. I don't know what the heck it is. But that's what they do. You know, so and, anyway. And you know, they get more blatant with it. And it's, <laughs> it, it, it's more ridiculous each time. It's harder to believe, but you know Hitler had it right, I, and he was very prophetic in what he said. And it, and I have no doubt that he picked up some of this from Bernays, and that is the bigger the lie, the more apt they are to believe it. Yeah, that's, you know it's true. If you're gonna do it, do it big. Do it big, because there's no way in people's minds that somebody could actually perpetrate something so grand, so outlandish, for it not to be real. It has to be real. Uh, nobody, nobody would go through that whole exercise to try to deceive us. There's, it's impossible. Can you imagine now, and not that we need any more angst, but can you imagine what the next one is they're going to pull? And I hate to say this, but you talk about, you know, we, we obviously for years on this show we've done stuff on predictive programming, and I got that 9-11 gallery, you know, coincidence or not, but whatever. But the thing that's always sat very badly with me to this day is a scenario that they put forth in the movie Some of All Fears. What what else can oh, yeah. you yeah, what else can you do with Americans except to do something as atrocious at the high holy day of sports, which is the Super Bowl game. Right. While while a billion plus people are watching live on T V. Yeah. yeah. And I mean I, I, I of course there's no, I there's no such thing as us wishing it into existence, but you you almost don't want to say it. it's ineffable. Uh, but it's when I saw that, I'm, and it's not that scenario has not gone out of my mind. That to me would probably be the biggest kick in the balls you could give the American people. Yeah. Well, you're going right to the, the the escape of many people from their daily lives. Right. They're they're one bastion of of of, of seclusion and enjoyment. That, you know, they don't feel like they're in the grind where, you know, they're working for somebody else. They're, you know, they're slaving for whatever reason. They get to release their, you know, enthusiasm. They, you know, they get to kind of express themselves in, in a free way and, and get really just lose themselves for a while. Take that from them in the most atrocious manner. I mean, I mean, what do they got left? I mean, they're not going to leave the house. Well, and the trauma effect, I, I think that oh, yeah. that would be the ultimate trauma effect. Uh, I mean, 9-11 was, if nothing else, uh, extremely traumatic, at least for me. It, it just creeped me out. It, it was hard for me to sleep for several days just thinking about the whole thing. It just, you know, it, it, when, it, when it finally started dawning on me that, that what I saw... Uh, was not what the media was telling me I had seen, you know. Uh, and I began to realize that, that, you know, 
I had to admit, hey, you know, this looks like it was done by the government, or the government at least allowed it to happen, you know, and there was a reason for that. And then I began to think, well, this is just another play out of the old Nazi playbook. This is the Rockstack fire of, you know, 2001 style, you know, uh, and now we're in the Fourth Reich. And then we take up the, uh, the uh, torch, so to speak, from, uh, from the Nazis. And that guy, yeah, I mean, look at the guy we've got in office. He's a grandson of one of the financiers of, of Hitler's uh, Germany. I mean, Prescott Bush was, was basically a Nazi himself. I mean, he was, he was one of the, uh, the primary financiers through uh, Brown Brothers Harriman. Uh, you know, and here's his son and his grandson, President of the United States. I mean, uh, that's a scary, you know, that's a scary scenario. You know, I don't have to sell it to you guys, but and but just let me let me just say this: there's always been a malevolent spirit that has roamed this earth, right? And it has taken, it has invested itself in certain peoples throughout time. And as you know about the scripture where uh, I believe Jesus cast out the demons and they invested themselves into a herd of swine, right. which then jumped off a cliff, uh, I say the same thing happened to the United States, that, that's, that that malevolent spirit which had been resonant in Nazism invested us, and now we're stuck with it, and we're going to have to run over a cliff. Uh, and I, you know, and we don't realize, you know, we, we meet, you always recite that line from the comic strip Pogo that we've sought the enemy and the enemy is indeed us. Well, that's where it's at. And that's the way most of uh, the, what the world looks at us as. When you don't think about that, as I've always made fun of, because Americans are in that head, but it's 11, you know, but it's us. You know, what do you mean? You know, it's 11. And we don't think it, 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 it can happen here because it's us. We don't understand that it doesn't matter. It possibly happened to us because... All our lives, we've been told how great and wonderful we are and how we're the bastion of freedom. And that's, you know, they hate us because of our freedoms. You know? And that's another non-sequitur I loved. Oh, yes. Right. And, and people forget, before there was a quote-unquote us, we were nothing. We were a developing country ourselves. We were, you know, a second world country for a long time. And... Primarily agrarian. I mean, this is it's not a whole lot different than what you might see in India or so right now. They have told us that this country was God-breathed, that Jehovah, like, uh, you know, shed his grace on us and all this stuff. And that is this, the fairy tale lie. When I think about who began this enterprise, it was Rosicrucians and it was those from the old world who had a financial stake in this concern. And that's what this was. And I had an exchange with a listener from Florida, and I hope he's not upset with me, but he was breaking down what happened in the United States in terms of the philosophies of Locke and Hobbes. And I'm like, you know, that sounds good. It's platitudinous, but you know what? It's really much more crass than that. It's about money, markets, and mercantilism. Mm -hmm. That's what makes the world go around. The rest of the stuff is great for debate and to read about, but it's all about the money. And the old world had a stake in this new world, and we're being used, I think, right as we see it in our lifetimes now, as the ultimate role of what this country's meant to be. We are very much, as I've said before, in a relationship with the old world, and precisely Britain, as Master Blaster was in Thunderdome. We're the brute beast that lets the little brain tell us what to do. 
and I think now we're going to finally be used the final time and be dashed upon the rocks. But of course, it'll all be in the name of justice and freedom, you know, and uh, and the Christian Crusades. So, and this Third World War will bring in the world government. Yes, which you know they've been trying to do it. Now this is the third try, and supposedly the third time is a charm. And uh, of course, World War One brought us the League of Nations, World War Two, the UN. And now we're going to have uh, what I believe will be the Antichrist system, uh, you know, the, the uh, revived Roman Empire, uh, which to me will just be a global fascist state under a uh, very powerful dictator. As a, as a final question that I'll throw to you guys, and I'll go to you first, Wayne. Uh, I think we're all at the same school, but I mean, the bear's asking. Uh, this whole financial situation, I think, is really the opening salvo in um, the desire for one world rule. And are you seeing where we're probably, through financial markets and an ultimate pandemic collapse, where they're going to come to a one world solution for finance and economy? They're already calling for that. They, I mean, Bush just attended a, a meeting of G7, and I think he has another one scheduled for G8. Financial leaders of each of these countries, each of these top developed industrial countries of the world to come together to create a one world financial solution. There you go. That's that's the goal. And you can see all the all the we're moving into checkmate. The pieces are being moved into place. Each region is doing its part. All of the, all of these major industrialized nations are moving to first nationalize their financial institutions, shortly to be followed by the nationalization of all their insurance institutions. Um, most of them already have uh, nationalized health care. And, and so eventually you're going to be, everyone will become so um, indebted to the government or reliant on the government right. that there's no way that you can oppose the government because it, it's what uh, Rockefeller told Russo, that, you know, you get everybody on the chip, you get everybody dependent, and if, they, if there's any backlash by them, you just cut off the chip. You just you remove their ability um, to obtain resources. You starve them out, just like Stalin did when, he, uh, you know, in the 1940s. 1930s, when he'd take whole regions of Russia, take all of their grain, export all of their grain, not import and blockade any resources coming into those communities and just starving them all out. Hundreds of thousands, millions of people at a time. You know, I mean, that goes back to Rome, too. I mean, if, if you were born infirm or defective in some way, or if you, you know, I guess if you failed to produce, Send them outside the city walls and let the walls have at them. Yeah, through exposure, they call it. Yeah, you're no longer a producer, so uh, see you, but you got to go. Larry, uh, you get last shot. Go ahead. Well, I was just going to say that uh, I think uh, we're now seeing uh, the beginning of the new, new deal, which I guess will be Obama's raw deal, which I believe will be, uh, you know, uh, we'll have work projects and uh, – We'll have uh, people being put back to work into factories where they uh, uh, will build, uh, quote, they'll, they'll work for the defense, quote, department. 
Uh, I think that uh, we're on the verge of the Third World War, and uh, I, I see this country eventually uh, no longer exist sovereign nation. I, they're not kidding about that, uh, the uh, North American Union. I don't care, you know, what different politicians say. It's, it's, it's happening. And I-35 is, is being worked on as we speak to become a, a superhighway, uh, the NAFTA superhighway. And I think America is eventually going to wind up becoming part of uh, a North American Union with Canada and Mexico. It will be a, an economic zone amongst many economic zones. I think the European Union is the the, the precursor of what America will become. Yeah. And uh, I think we're going to uh, going to get destroyed uh, fighting Russia, just as the Third Reich did. I, I think, uh, and, and I hate to say this kind of stuff, uh, but I, I think we're going to get ground up, and, and, and I think we're going to get a pass handed to us by the Russians. And uh, I think that will be the end of the United States entity. Well, I'll tell you, I'm all for the North American Union, and I'll tell you why. Because if we're going to get into World War III, I would love to have our Canadian and Mexican brothers part of, <laughs> part of our military force. <laughs> Listen, that ain't going to happen until, until the hitting starts, because obviously the Mexicans and Canadians are like, no, 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 we're not getting this one. Yeah. So, I mean, we're making light of it, but I have to say that probably to an extent, you got to laugh a little bit. Well, it's like the old parrot had said, if we couldn't laugh, we'd all go insane. I heard that. But I think we're going to have to have the time of war before the unions will take place as part of the regionalization that even the Club of Rome predicted, which I thought was pretty interesting, about 10 regions. And I think that's probably going to happen. Oh, yeah, they're working on they're working on the destruction of national sovereignty, which is one of their main goals. I mean, if you if you read the the globalist uh, literature, that's one of their main goals. Uh, you know, they've got to have that. And we're going to have a world that will be run by corporations. You know, that it'll be global fascism. Do you know that when Rollerball came out, that's a movie. That's a great movie. Yes, and spoke to that. Uh, you know, here I am, because I knew everything when I was 26. I knew everything. I, it's amazing how dumb I got as I got older. Yeah, yeah. But uh, I watched that movie, and I said, get out of here. This isn't even close to being plausible. Now, oh, now, when I looked, when I watched that movie this year, right? I was like, holy Toledo. Because I thought corporations, I mean, they just did their businesses. You know, they, that's all they are. And I never understood what Mussolini meant by corporate fascism. I'm like, come on, in businesses, they don't have guns and stuff. Well, of course, now you realize they don't have to. They just have to be able to avail themselves of, of certain nations' militaries, which they've done very well. So at any rate, uh, yeah, we are definitely there. And this bit with the finances is the very first part, because I think what's going to happen is they'll go after a, a, a global financial solution, and there'll be a global military solution, and then a global religious solution, and that, and that will all add to one world rule. Right. That's what the World Council of Churches, which was uh, funded mainly by the Rockefellers, the whole idea of the World Council of Churches and ecumenism uh, is, a, is a Rockefeller project in, in conjunction with, you know, the, the different churches, and, and especially the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, uh, I'm sorry. It, it's all leading up to... Uh, Fascism requires religion. I mean, when you get down to it, the the three most Catholic countries in Europe, you know, Germany, uh, uh, Italy, and and Spain, were all uh, predominantly Catholic, and and there was no there was no big problem at all with the Roman Catholic Church of uh, you know 
endorsing those regimes because uh, it was to their advantage. I mean, the Roman Catholic Church came into existence as a state church, you know, as a, as a state-organized religion. That's how uh, Constantine was smart enough to realize that, that this would unite the empire, you know, get everybody on the same page with the same religion. And it's okay if you bring in whatever your your previous pagan religion, whatever those, those beliefs were, bring them on in. We'll, we'll incorporate that into our doctrine. Uh, I have no problem with that. Uh, and by the way, you can find probably on Tom Richard's site, uh, I think it's travelingthrough.com, uh, and he sent me a bunch of photos too. And I have one that I'd say, but there's something really rich about um, all the cardinals who are lined up on both sides of Hitler, all given the, uh, yeah. the Roman salute. Yeah, I've seen, I've seen, I've seen similar photographs. <laughs> Nothing says loving like something. <laughs> yeah, they, I mean, uh, when they did the Concordat, uh, that, yes. there was a big party in Rome, and there were all kinds of officials, oh, and, you know, German officials that came to Rome and I guess kissed the Pope's ring, and they had a wonderful time. Uh, and, and, and then today, it, it, it amazes me. I, I hear people, you know, uh, uh, these liberals that will get on and go, I just don't understand why the Pope didn't speak out against fascism during World yeah. War II. Why didn't he do something to have, you know, do you really think he was on the side of the Allies? Well, you know, do you really, really think he was against Hitler? Did you guys ever see the, uh, the, the, the documentary, Shake Hands with the Devil? No, I haven't. Uh, all right, the, the French-Canadian... Uh, uh, general who was in the UN contingent that went into Africa. Uh, his name is Romeo Dallaire. And he recounts going in there thinking he really had a job to do to stop the bloodshed. And he realized it was all just basically lip service and they wound up having to defend themselves from everything, ill-equipped and everything else. And Dallaire, when he came back, he said the, the genocides going on in Africa, he said, I lay at the foot of the Vatican and the UN. He said, I, I certainly believe it. Yeah. And I know that what it's it's considered to be a conspiracy theory by a lot of people, but I think uh, the UN and, and the vaccinations of the people in Africa is is the origin of the AIDS epidemic there. Yeah. You got uh, oh, and did you read just today where Gardasil? Uh, well, not Gardasil. The uh, New Jersey has just mandated without the option of of opting out that all children all attending kindergarten or daycare between the age of one or two to five yeah. have to get the flu shot. I mean, there, you cannot opt out. There is no religious or conscientious um, objection to that. Like, I mean, it's coming. To make some people extremely ill. Well, well yeah. you know, I guess there's a reason why I left Jersey. So. <laughs> well, they, I mean, they were in the forefront of a lot of things. I hate to say it, and one of them is the federalization of law enforcement. Pilot Pete still lives up there, and he, you know, he tells me what's going on. Uh, Jersey <clears throat> it can be a really strange state, but you know, I don't have to sell that to anybody. So, <laughs> and look, if you got me, so uh, anyway, um, before I um, I spoke about the. Uh, the league championship series in baseball with the Sox and the Rays. And I know a lot of people, you know, turn their nose up at athletics because, oh, you guys are just, you know, into this gladiatorial thing. But, I'll, you know, I'm going to be straight with you. I think you guys feel the same way. And, Wayne, you and I uh, probably have a, share a, a, a bit of the same strain here. And that is, you know, there's, there's nothing bad about athletics. Uh, it's the way that, you know, it's obviously become worshipped. But it also is sometimes – the place to go to just get away from us all, you know? Exactly. 
And uh, you know, when I when I wrote this uh, this uh, failed novel based on my diaries I kept when I was playing baseball at Fairleigh Dickinson in '70. The world was so crazy then. I used to just go out early to practice, and I used to lay in center field and just get away from everything. And, you know, there were no Walkman then. There was nothing in my ears. I just laid out in the outfield and watched the clouds go by because I, I had to go someplace just to get away from it all. Yeah. And, uh, and, I, and that's why, you know, I, I am not ashamed to say that, yeah, I probably tune in and I watch the games. I don't get crazy about it. You know, I don't get depressed because I don't have my team. But I do believe it was a decent outlet. And the reason I'm bringing it up is the outro music I'm going to play, which I'm not sure you guys are familiar with. Uh, do you remember the movie A League of Their Own? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Uh, I'm sorry it's Madonna, but that's the way it goes. But that's all she's. <laughs> well, the song that she sang, you know, this used to be my playground. Uh, is what I'm going to use because I think we all need a place sometimes to go with all that we know and just be left alone for a short time. You know what I mean? Right. I do. And uh, it, it is not uh, a distraction. It is necessary mental health. <laughs> Prevented without a doubt. Hey, before right. we go, could I just put in a plug for Jesus Christ? I'd just like to say that for anybody out there listening that don't know Jesus Christ, please make an effort to do so. That's the best I can do without sounding like a televangelist. No, but it's true, and it's worth saying the same thing. I mean, the only way out is up. That's it. Exactly. And I'm sorry if you get upset about it, but I'm, you know they're going to find out. I mean, they're, they're going to find out. You don't stick it in their face. I mean, it's it's about it's about love and not about you know conviction. No, you got to live you've got to live your life and show an example, and, and you got to show love and concern for other people and, and not be judgmental, because that really turns people off. And just remember, well, I was just going to say, you know, in, in reality, it's about the only peace that you'll ever find in, in this in this phase of our existence. You're not going to find it anywhere else, and you're certainly not going to find it in the external world that we're living in. And especially now, in all the chaos and turmoil and, and uncertainty, people are wigging, you know, in yeah. a bad way. And you're, this is not the time to lose your head. This is not the time to get emotional. This is not the time to become irrational. This is the time to be in harmony and at peace. And the only way you're going to find that is through the Lord. And I would tie this all up by telling you and everyone else, remember, there's a connection between the Lord and baseball because the Bible starts with, in the beginning. <laughs> I'll see you guys. Okay. All right. Take care, man. All right. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
Okay, that is uh, what we just listened to there was on um, You Find That on Think or Be Beaten. Uh, it's part of uh, Beyond the Grassy Knoll. If you look that up, it'd be uh, Volume 8, uh, Number 4. Uh, or one f- or looks like a recording of uh, 144 with uh, Larry the contractor guy and Wayne the pain from Texas along with Keith Hansen otherwise known as Visigoth and uh, so that obviously recording was prior to the first what uh, the election in 2008 and uh, it, now it's going on uh, what seven, eight years, eight years since this recording. And let's look at in retrospect some of the things that they said. Well, first of all, they were talking about the Obama Hillary Clinton race. They mentioned one thing um, about uh, the possible potential of. Uh, uh, some kind of hit being made on Obama during the, the race, and apparently something did happen. Um, if the rumor is true, his airplane, when he was flying, was sabotaged, and he had to make an emergency landing, landing during the you know the, the race uh, between Hillary. The notice they mentioned Jeb Bush, and sure enough, Jeb Bush now. Eight years later, is in the race. Um, we talked about uh, the whole pipe dream about ending the war in Iraq, and although a lot of people will think that they pulled the military out of Iraq, you have to remember they built the, their largest base, I think, ever, if not at least at the time, the the largest base they ever built in Iraq. It houses 150,000 soldiers. Mostly of them are uh, mercenaries um, under the control of ZE, which used to be, or excuse me, XE, which used to be uh, Blackwater, controlled by the Knights of Malta. Notice that they mentioned the, uh, the Club of Rome and the whole plan of things. Uh, they mentioned the Jesuits, they mentioned, or at least they mentioned the Vatican. Um, of course, at that time, they were dealing with the election and the, uh, the, uh, the financial meltdown that was going on that put us into the Depression. Um, uh, one of the things that I want to bring up is Jade Helm. Now, Jade Helm, there's all this stink going on about Jade Helm. And uh, I just want to remind people, yeah, it's in five states. It's supposed to be two months. It's 1,200 special forces in the southwest. What is the southwest? The United States is a desert. If we look on a map, we look where all the uh, majority of the United States and NATO bases are. Well, they, they circle and circle Iran. Uh, it's very logical that the special forces are training uh, and Southwest to prepare for what they're going to be doing in the Middle East. Anyone who thinks that there's not going to be some kind of war with Iran uh, is delusional. 
<laughs> it has been in the cards. It's been in the plans for a long time, and they're going to do it. I think part of it, there's multiple reasons for it. Uh, and of course, the globalists, the elitists, the bankers, they want to have uh, Iran to be under their thumb. Then there's this whole thing about the the Shiite Muslims and their lack of compliance with the papacy. Um, and we look at Iran is predominantly Shiites, if I understand it correctly. Um, we look at the fact that these wars are necessary to weaken us, to allow whatever is going to happen to this country happen, whether it's the Russians, Chinese, whatever, the UN. Um, oh, that last couple of minutes, the last minute was, uh, I don't know if you could hear it very well, but that was the marching of police officers in their right gear uh, a month ago in, in downtown Toledo, Ohio. <laughs> Deep lift. With all their body uh, right gear on and their uh, armor and all that. And the helicopters flying in. And, of course, it was windy that day, so it was hard to hear. So, um, so anyways, Jade Helm, that's what it's all about, from what I can see. Um, of course, and also you got this whole thing about also the Mexicans there, that a lot of the illegal immigrants. I don't have anything against them personally. I don't. There's people trying to survive and pawns in the game just like the rest of us. But, you know, this whole idea of whether it's going to be the North American Union or not, you know, they certainly are going to try to get as many of these young uh, illegal or not illegal, non-illegal immigrants to kind of join the force, not kind of, but actually join the force. There will be a, a major war. This is the plan. It's always been. Uh, I, my impression is the reason why the weakening in this country is to force us into a position to actually fight the war. Interesting how they brought up that the religion part is actually phase three. But first, there has to be the financial crushing of the country, and then there has to be the war. They've, they predicted Third World War. So we look what's happening in the United States right now, that all the jobs being shipped overseas, um, not all of them, but most of them, one out of three adults is uh, unemployed. I don't know how many more are underemployed. Um Constantly, I see folks folks in my neighborhood and in my town putting up for sale signs and foreclosure signs. Um, the, the, the crunch is still going on. Uh, as far as the Third World War goes, as a guest to us, the Global Inquisition, uh, yes. And, of course, we're already under a Global Inquisition already. It's just going to get ramped up as we hear, you know, if you do some studying of World War II, the connections with the Vatican and Hitler, it's overwhelming. <clears throat> if you weigh off the evidence between whether Hitler was a Jew or was a Jesuit-trained Roman Catholic, he was Jesuit Roman Catholic. Roman, he was a Jesuit-trained Roman Catholic. Guy to bottom. Of course, you look at, at Germany. Germany is, hey, Viz, how you doing, bro? And, I, and by the way, hi, Andrew. Um, 
So, yeah, I don't know if you, you heard. You just missed. I just played uh, in front of me still. You, I have you and uh, Larry, the contractor guy, and Wayne, the pain from Texas. A recording that you two, you three gentlemen did eight years ago, and uh, just kind of going over yeah, what you gentlemen talked about, and uh, now looking at eight how eight years from now or since then, excuse me, um, how accurate you you three were <laughs> in your conversation. So. <laughs> Montaducci. So yeah, so this this whole thing, we see what's going on. Um, As was mentioned, like again, was said what I mentioned and what they mentioned. um, Yeah, we get uh, another Bush running for for office, and uh, Jeb. It was mentioned that uh, Jeb would even eight years ago that high probability that he would be the uh, the future president in four to eight years, and it's now eight years, and it's now his time. Um, I can get my focus here. Um, yeah, it's very interesting how they, they laid out the whole thing about, you know, first you have the financial collapse, then the war, then the new one-world religion, a very logical progression. And uh, yeah, Bush, bring me a shrubbery. <laughs> yeah, uh, my what? <laughs> what is this guy like? He's I don't know. He's boy, uh, Bush Junior was uh, I don't know. He was kind of like I don't know what he was. Kind of a Bush would he really be? He wasn't really a thorn Bush. He was more like. He's more like just like a you. He's just poisonous. This guy, he's going to be like a barberry. <laughs> I think they're going to have a lot of pain come from this, from Jeb. And, uh, and, uh, now you don't need <laughs> And, uh, let's see, let's see. Guess to you is another question. Good overview. I got everything written down. Yeah, good job, Andrew. It is worth writing down. They have a lot of things. Those three covered a lot of ground in two hours. So um, they've talked a lot about uh, 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 Reagan's attempted assassination, which then allowed uh, Bush Senior to be basically an office for twelve years. Then we go. They went back even earlier with Kennedy's, JFK's assassination, which allowed. Um, uh, you know, Johnson to be president for basically about the same amount of time. Uh, very crooked folks. I, I think one of the more value messages here when you listen to that is to how to just give up on this. <laughs> when it comes to the national elections, uh, I mean, it's probably worth paying attention, um, but not to be involved in it. I think at this point, it, they are pretty much running the show. Well, my whole life has been that way, I've discovered, and uh, we're really not actively part of it. So, <clears throat> And well, there were so much things to talk about. But uh, one of the things I want to look at is uh, to go into the Yahoo headline news. I might want to talk a little bit about Waco. 
I don't know if anybody heard anything about that with the Hell Angels and how supposedly nine were shot dead and I guess others wounded and a hundred and something were arrested. Um, I <clears throat> suspect this story quite a bit. I'm not saying that it didn't happen, but if anybody who's done any research on the Hell's Angels, and then if you look at the FBI and their sorted connections, um, the Hell's Angels are some smart, wicked men. There's some wicked men involved here, but they're pretty smart. And uh, I have a hard time believing they just show up in this bike rally and just start this insanity without somebody probably backed or part of the FBI involved with it. So it'd be an interesting look at it. So uh, this is here. Uh, headline number one. Now, why do I bring it up? Yahoo.com. And there's one particular organization that keeps on dominating the headlines. And this is from Huffington Post. Six things Christians should worry about more than the decline of Christianity. Christians of all stripes are freaking out a little, some a lot, given the recent bleak news from Pew Research Center, which indicates Christianity in the decline. So anyways, we look at Pew Research, it's not too much to think of value. Um, and of course, they're lumping in Christianity with uh, Roman Catholicism and you know, a lot of other cults like uh, Mormonism or the Church of Latter-day Saints, the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and of course groups like that, these cults are not really yeah, not true Christianity. So, <laughs> In fact, if we were honest about Christianity, the situation of Christianity in this country has been bleak for a very long time. I had no idea when I first surrendered a couple years ago how bad the situation was. I completely divorced myself from Christianity, or, well, I started out as Mormon, and uh, researching and trying to find a church to go to, uh, it's, I never had a more frustrating experience in all my life. <laughs> so, thank goodness there is the Word of God, and thank goodness it's saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ, huh? and not uh, a church we belong to at this point. Um, 34 murdered in Baltimore since Freddie Gray died. Daily Beast. Now, when you look at Baltimore, and uh, I, I would call it, it's probably not the best way of calling it, but the Jesuit enclave. Uh, it's had a strong history of Jesuitism in the Roman Catholic Church since the, the beginning of this country. And if you look at what's going on there, then in Ferguson, which is another... <laughs> Jesuit enclave. Uh, yeah, you got Ferguson and uh, St. Louis, and uh, apparently used to be, or maybe still is, called the Vatican of the West. I don't know, but uh, the connections are <clears throat> very interesting. And if anybody's done a little bit of research on whether it's Ferguson or Baltimore, sure enough, there are Jesuit priests right there in front dealing with the protest. 100 Years of Beauty, the Philippines. As I suggested since the beginning of the year, when the Pope Francis came to visit the Philippines, they have become more and more prominent in the news. And every day, now, there's something about the Philippines. 
how it's been what five months and it's still going on four to five months around that period pope two bishops the next article this is associate press stop ordering faithful around fight graft vatican city ap pope francis has told bishops to strongly denounce corruption and to act more like pastors than quote pilots end quote Okay, now the next article, Associated Press. Pope will answer Bosnian mail, the mailman's prayer. And I won't go into that because it's usually some useless, uh, mindless Jesuit causatory, uh, <laughs> uh, more propaganda. That's all this pro Roman Catholic. Um, Okay, and we'll see if there's any more that I really want to look at. So, anyways, that's you know right away. That's the I try to focus on the top ten headlines. And what do we got here? How many were <laughs> about one particular organization? You might want to ask yourself why is this one particular organization dominate the headlines? For whatever it's worth to you, uh, to me, it's very suspicious. Now, of course, we look at Yahoo and it's passed to CEOs, the Jesuit trained Roman Catholics, so would not be too surprising. But then you got Huffington Post, Associated Press, Daily Beast, etc., that seem to just love the papacy. And Pope Francis in particular. So now let's see if I can get into this. I do want to look at this just a little bit. <clears throat> you know, yesterday at the show when I I was talking about what happened last month in Toledo with the neo-Nazi the KKK rally that we had and I I was trying to explain to folks how this is something that seems to be an annual thing in the county that I live in Lucas County and adjacent counties and that it's really it's not really an opportunity for freedom of speech or the uh, exercise of First Amendment rights it's really about an opportunity for our law enforcement agencies to practice crowd control. And I strongly recommend that anybody go and uh, look at the short videos out there from uh, a month ago in Toledo downtown. And you'll see, as I've mentioned, that the police outnumber the protesters on either side three to one. That tells you something. (laughs) It tells you that this is a... Uh, is something that they plan out. And there's no better two groups to actually have these kind of exercises than uh, these neo-Nazis, Nationalist Party, right? And, uh, and of course, then you have the liberal, idealistic, youthful folks that go there thinking they're going to make a difference. And by the way, I know about this because I was one of them. And uh, I went to a, Nazi, a neo-Nazi rally back when I was in my 20s and I was married to the gal that uh, were very much involved in social issues, like with the um, East Timor Ashton Next work and uh, that kind of thing. So, And uh, anyways, you'll discover that it's, it's, it's all theater. And uh, I do recommend that next time one comes around your neighborhood, 
to pack a picnic and a blanket, go sit somewhere on a hill, and watch the the spectacle because that's what it is. It really is about <laughs> the law enforcement having the opportunity to don on their riot gear, have an opportunity to justify their helicopters that they have, um, their armor vehicles, and snipers and all that other stuff. You know, it's it's quite a spectacle, and it's if you're somebody who's from my neck of the woods, the Great Lakes Great Lakes region. And in particular, Ohio, Indiana, Indiana, Indiana is supposedly supposed to be the headquarters of the KKK, <clears throat> and so, and then uh, Michigan and uh, Pennsylvania and Kentucky. Um, it's a, uh, it's a tradition that uh, the KKK comes and has a rally coming soon to your neighborhood, <laughs> and of course, it's give us the illusion of freedom of speech in public spaces, right? All right, let's, see, let's check this out. Okay, with this Hell's Angels in Waco, right? That's where it happened. Let's see if you can find a halfway decent article. I just want to read it. I'm not saying that I have any of the answers to this particular story, but I find it fascinating that it just popped up out of the blue, and of course it's Waco. Got to be Waco. Got to have it in Waco. And uh, you have 170 bikers charged in Waco. And uh, uh, rivalry uh, routed in uh, the 1960s? Wow. Wow. Apparently their their grudges last a long time. (laughs) I don't know about that one. But that's what the, the, the New York Times says, and then you have the Washington Post, so we have, uh, you know, Washington Post. Let's see what the Jesuits have to say. <clears throat> How the Bandidos became one of the world's most feared biker gangs. Hmm. Oh, this is Bandidos, Okay. When I heard what I saw last night, they were saying Hell's Angels. So, okay. Bandito's motorcycle gang has a saying, quote, cut one and we all bleed, end of quote. <clears throat> uh, okay. It is not clear who started the cutting, but there was plenty of bloodshed on Sunday when the Bandito's... <laughs> brutally clashed with members of several other biker gangs at a restaurant in Waco, Texas. A wild shootout in broad daylight left nine bikers dead, 18 wounded, and 165 under arrest. Now, I know, I don't know, when's the last time we've had something like that in national news? Interesting. You think about what happened in Baltimore and Ferguson and all the other nonsense throughout the country. And uh, for those who are going to say this has anything that's going to somehow down the road about Jade Helm, once again, let me remind you, Jade Helm is a military exercise for five states in the Southwest. I, with 1,200 special forces, I 
don't know for certainty what it's all about except military exercise. But if we look at that, of all the, the amount of military bases in the Middle East, in deserts, it would be very logical that they would spend one to two months having these exercises, especially if they are planning on finally getting going on this war with Iran that they have been waiting forever and a day to do and putting the pieces in place to make this thing get going. And who knows? Who knows? Maybe it's not even Iran. Maybe it has something to do with another country like Syria. I don't know. <clears throat> but it's only time to talk. For those who are kind of worrying about whether they're going to put us under martial law, well, hopefully those who have been listening to this show will recognize that maybe we already have been under martial law. And, uh, but I don't know. I don't know. I don't have all the answers. I'm certainly doing just some nobody from Toledo, Ohio. So, but logically, when you look at it, most, <laughs> let's first look at 1,200 special forces, you know, members of the Fort special forces is, is not a significant enough numbers to, put this whole country under martial law. <laughs> just not going to happen that way. Uh, most likely what it is is just preparatory exercises. Getting used to fighting and or being in communities and in the desert terrain. Most likely. Anyway, let's get back to this article. Uh, the confrontation began about noon at... Now, I love... It, now, of course, it's got to be Twin Peaks... Twin Peaks restaurant and a shopping center and quickly escalated into fisticuffs to all-out war, said Sergeant W. Patrick Swanton, a police police spokesman. At one point, this is, it seems it's almost like a Hollywood script. They'll have to make a movie out of this one. This would be a great movie if it hasn't already been a movie. Uh, at one point, as many as 30 gang members were shooting at one another in the restaurant parking lot. Police found more than 100 weapons and scores of shell casings. Now, only thing I just want... Okay, okay, I'll go a little further here. Report, Twin, uh, Waco's Twin Peaks uh, criticized by police following shootout will not reopen, end of quote. The shootout is the latest and perhaps the goriest chapter in a long history of violence involving motorcycle gangs in the United States. Uh, the Bambitos, like their more popularly known uh, arch rivals, the Hells Angels, are frequent characters in that blood-soaked book. The group is generally considered the world's second-largest biker gang behind the Angels with as many as 2,500 members in 13 countries. Wow, that seems like a gigantic gang, according to the Department of Justice. <clears throat> not really. That's not really something like that. Okay. Um, the Bandito story uh, charts the rise of biker gangs from counterculture clubs to fearsome organized crime organizations and helps to explain why tragedy struck on Sunday 
in a city already associated with spectacular violence. You think? What would be the odds of that? Oh, my computer is froze up. Wonderful. Sure enough, that's what usually happens when I end up going into something like a Washington Post with all the cookies and all that. For some reason, they freeze me up. Let's see. <laughs> 16 months ago, the neighborhood was kill pages. What? The following pages have become unresponsive. Kill pages. No, I don't want you to. I don't want you to kill the pages. Okay. Um, neighborhood is full of hipsters. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. They're probably full. That's why they had something. The week before, they probably had a convention of evangelicals. Is what they had. <clears throat> Selling their books on the Nephilim. Well, this, I'm sorry, folks. It froze up on me. So. We'll see what we can do. If that helps. Well, you think you got enough of it, at least the, the gist of the story there. Um, anyways, <clears throat> the Cossacks, MC, Texas. Well, my point in bringing this up is a suspect that it came out this time of year um, to me. I could be wrong about it. The other thing is, when you think about the Hells Angels and even the Bandidos, uh, the Banditos, whatever, um, these two guys are pretty organized, and they usually don't have uh, open gang violence like this in public. Uh, they usually do this stuff, um, you know, you do. Listen, I'm from Toledo. I don't know if that means anything to you, but we've got a long time history of gang us and the mafia. I mean, <laughs> this is the center of where the, uh, you know, when it came to the, the running of alcohol during prohibition. I mean, every other t- house in this in this town had a, 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 you know, a distillery, you know. So I mean, and mafia is still a big part of this town. And you know, when I was a musician and playing out and all that. And, had a chance to rub shoulders with these folks and never interested in their life. I was just interested in playing music, right? And girls and beer or something like that. But, you know, um, the fact of the matter is from my own observation and from my own experience, for whatever it's worth, and it's not really worth anything, but um, they don't operate this way. They do not, in a, in such a, in a, in a big rally, a biker rally, Open up fire, firing on each other. It's too much to lose. Then the only time I've ever seen anything like happen, there usually is the FBI behind it, or something like some agency like that. Could be wrong. Okay, uh, it's now working here, so maybe we can go back and do this because uh, it is an interesting article, and it's interesting to see what the Jesuit spin on this is. Let's see what's happened here. Oh, yeah, I'm trying to find this. You know, uh, we were listening to Keith and the other two gentlemen. Uh, eight years ago, 
they were mentioning things like, I forget, the Club of Rome, their involvement in what's happening in the world today, um, and the Vatican. And not that I have any hate on Roman Catholics, because, well, quite frankly, uh, my beloved sister is Roman Catholic, so I don't really I don't hate it from Catholics, but you know the hierarchy. We have to be honest. You know that they are involved. It is a political institution, and they are involved in all this. And so we just we want to be honest. We got to be honest. So, anyways, uh, so okay, there were signs of trouble even before there were any official bike gangs on the Fourth of July weekend. Yeah, Fourth of July weekend in 1947, around 4,000 motorcyclists flooded. The, the small town of Holster, California. <laughs> Could, I don't know about you, but I see like Holster, California, and the Fourth of July weekend in 1947, and 4,000 motorcyclists flooded, causing havoc. I don't know if you're still there, Keith. You'd probably remember the old movies from the 50s and 60s, you know, the biker and the gangster movies, and all that, right? <laughs> I wonder if there's any connection in the end of that. I don't know. The Hales Angels were founded around a year later. Thompson's 1966 profile of the Angels came just as they were expanding across the country, stirring dramatic reactions. Quote, they call themselves Hales Angels, and began in a 1965 magazine article quoted in Thompson's book, they quote, they ride, rape, raid like marauding cavalry, <laughs> and they boast that no police force can break up their criminal motorcycle fraternity. And quote. <clears throat> Don't freeze up on me again. You did. Okay. You did. All right. I'm going to have to probably get out of this. It's just, unfortunately, Washington Post is freezing up. I might be able to read one more. Uh, paragraph and I'm going to get out here. We're the one percenters, man. The ones who don't, okay, this is a quote, by the way. Or the ones who don't fit and don't care, end of quote. An angel told Thompson, quote, so don't talk to me about your doctor's bills and your traffic warrants. I mean, you get your women and your bike and your banjo. And I mean, you are on your way. We've punched our way out of hundred of a hundred rumbles, stayed alive with our boots in our fists, and we're we're royalty among. Oh, there we go. It is now moving again. Okay, <clears throat> motorcycle outlaws, baby. <laughs> cool. I don't know if I, I, I don't know if you guys know any uh, uh, motorcycle gang members, but usually it's the ones that I've talked to. I mean, there's some morons. There's morons everywhere, but most of them don't talk that way. But maybe they did back then. I don't know. But today, actually, you, you can have some of the most intelligent conversations. Some of these guys, actually, for some reason, I guess it's because they spend time. <clears throat> Reading a book or two, I guess. I don't know. Uh, the Hales Angels might have been first 
but they were far from the only ones. Scores more motorcycle gangs sprung up across the United States. Many, if not all of them, sought to tap into American outlaw archetypes. As reflected in their rebellious names, the outlaws, the pagans, the warlocks, and uh, the Mongols, and the banditos. I'm trying to think of the, there's just a, uh, a big black gang in town, too. I can't think of the name of them. It's not the warlocks, it's somebody else. I can't think of the name. Anyways, it doesn't really matter. I, you know, it's actually it's quite interesting. Um, the dude. I'm not not to say that the, the the underworld thing that they do with the drug trade and the, the meth trade in this area and the, is justifiable and right. I'm just saying what is kind of interesting about these is you'll find, especially they uh, they do a lot of fundraising. So <laughs> I don't know. Uh, anyways, the banditos began almost 20 years after the Hells Angels, but the two gangs soon became bitter rivals, according to the Motorcycle Club legend. Founders, Daniel Chambers, was born bored with, their, with other bike clubs. Quote, Chambers started the Banditos in March of 1966, when he was 36 years old and working on the ship docks in Houston, end of quote. <clears throat> Skip Hollinsworth wrote in a 2007 profile of the gang, quote, he told his friends that he was naming his club the Banditos in honor, honor of the Mexican bandits who refused to live by anyone's rules but their own, and he began recruiting his first members not only out of Houston, but also out of the biker bars of Corpus Christi, Galveston, and San Antonio, end of quote. <clears throat> quote, Don wasn't looking for people who fit into what he called, uh, quote, polite society, end of quote. One of the group's first members told Hollinsworth, quote, he wanted the badass bikers who cared about nothing except riding full-time on their Harley-Davidson's. He wanted barkers who lived only for the open road. <laughs> no rules, no bowl, just the open road, end of quote. <clears throat> yeah, it couldn't be scripted any better. Um, but as both the Hells Angels and the banditos expanded. They grew from freewheeling counterculture clubs into ruthless organized crime syndicates. According to academics who study the groups and, uh, and prosecutors who pursue them in court, quote, the desire to dominate rivals temporarily decreased the power of the subcultures core values among many clubs while increasing their reliance on organized criminal activities, end of quote. Quinn writes, quote, as the extremes of violence used in, uh, let's see, warfare and warfare escalated, however, these activities 
could no longer be concealed by the uh, Lulu's code of silence. It was only at this point that law enforcement agencies finally began to take these clubs seriously, end of quote. By the late 70s, local police and federal investigation began to expose the involvement of many 1% motorcycle clubs in drug trafficking, theft, extortion, prostitution rings. Quinn writes, Chambers was caught in 1972 when he and two others, two other banditos, were arrested for killing two drug deals dealers in El Paso. Okay. Uh, quote, the police said that before killing the dealers, Chambers had made them dig their own graves. End of quote. Hollinsworth writes, quote, then Chambers and the other banditos had set their bodies on fire before burying them. And quote, Chambers was sentenced to two consecutive life sentences. The arrest and incarceration of bike gang leaders in the 70s led to what Quinn calls a, quote, entrenchment, end quote, during which a second generation of leaders dialed back the violence and focused on turning bigger profits through better operating drug and other criminal rackets. And then, of course, it got frozen up here. And I am not going to deal with any more of this. I'm tired of this freezing up on me. <clears throat> I, uh, something about Washington Post. It always freezes up my computer. I, I have no idea. So, I don't know. I don't know what to think about it, except that it's uh, it doesn't make much sense. To me, it doesn't make much sense. I, I'm not saying that these guys aren't, these cats aren't violent. I know they're violent. I know them. I've known guys personally. Not that it's, it's bragging rights at all, because it's not bragging rights. <clears throat> but they don't operate that way. 170 bikers charged in Waco. That's a lot of bikers in a, in a restaurant parking lot, shooting out. Now, in Waco, I'm not saying it doesn't happen. I'm just saying it just doesn't make much sense to me. It doesn't make much sense at all. It's not usually what they do. They usually don't do that. They usually what they do is, just like they said in the article, you know, they get a couple of their guys and they um, fish in a barrel at <laughs> Marxist capitalism in the Church of Southern Genesis. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, it's interesting that uh, I don't know. For me, it's interesting. Maybe it's because I'm from Toledo. I don't know. But I, I do know guys. I, I mean, we have, of course, most towns, most cities have their own biker gangs, and so we have ours here. They just don't do that. I don't ever see them doing that stuff. So, what's up with Waco, Twin Peaks? And more such games. Sounds like something straight out of Hollywood. So my final thing to do, folks, for those who 
listen to this and we'll hear it out, is we will read the last three chapters, yes, of Hebrews. <laughs> For that is the answer. The Republican Party is trying to get Ted Nugent to be their spokesperson. Any any thoughts? Uh, are not the banditos all Catholic? <laughs> well, I don't know. I really don't know the answer to either one of those questions. But as far as Ted Nugent goes, uh, come on, Ted Nugent. <laughs> Nobody takes that cat, that cat seriously. I mean. By the way, I'm from Nugent country, too. I just don't think I could chalk up. And I can tell you right now, he is uh, nothing of what they portray him to be. I mean, he's, he is an egomaniac, and he's full of himself. Um, and he's a pretty decent guitar player. Yeah, but <laughs> that man doesn't have a clue about what's going on. And if, if he does, he's not being honest about it, so. And he's all about himself, and that's it. So, you know what, uh, Ted Nugent? Nugent. Well, you know, you got to do something. You spend all your life shredding the guitar. What are you going to do after that? You know, I imagine his vocal cords are probably shot. <clears throat> and what's the next thing to do, you know? Become a politician, so. Won't mean much. It, it'd only be a sideshow and a distraction regardless, so. Ted Nugent is not a significant player in anything, so. He's just a sideshow for, <clears throat> in particular, Great Lakes regions are the rednecks from my region, you know. Makes them feel kind of special. They're, they're, they got their spokesman, I guess. Or maybe that's what the media wants them to think. I don't know. I'll be honest with you, I don't know anybody that takes Ted Nugent seriously. So I, I don't know what to say. I mean, it's not something that I would even think about. So I don't know. Who knows? Maybe he'll be a, end up being vice president. You never know. Anyways, this is Hebrews chapter 11. And uh, Hebrews is a wonderful book. And uh, so uh, last night I read the first 10 chapters, and I want to finish this up so we can move on. So the next time we do a recording, we'll do uh, Washington in the lap of Rome. Okay, first one. Now, faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it, the elders obtain a good report. Through faith, we understand that the worlds were framed by the word of God so that things which are seen were not made of things which do appear. By faith, Abel offered unto God a more excellent sacrifice than Cain, by which he obtained witness that he was righteous, God testifying of his gifts, and by it, he being dead, yet speaketh. By faith, Enoch was translated that he should not see death and was not found because of God had translated him 
or before he was translated, he had this testimony that he pleased God. Interesting. There are a lot of folks that feel that Enoch um, was only picked up in a storm and or didn't actually die. And believe it or not. Actually, in one of my earlier shows, I did a reading on that. So, <laughs> in particular, I think it was uh, John 3, can't remember, first verse 10 or 11, something like that. Interesting controversy on that thing. So, But here we go. You know, if you believe this, the New Testament, the word of God, and the Hebrews, the word of God, well, he did not see death. Okay, uh, verse 6. But without faith, it is impossible to please him. For he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned of God of the things not seen as yet, moved with fear and prepared an ark to the saving of his house, by the which he uh, condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness which is by faith. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed, and he went out, not knowing whither he went. And by faith, he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one, and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Yes, folks, we are strangers and pilgrims on the earth. Another reason why not to waste our time voting for the President of the United States. And all that other jazz, too. This is really hard. Actually, I should read maybe a little. Because Marcy, I'm going to, oh, I might as well, nah, I never said it. Marcy Captor, everyone knows her. She's a congresswoman, a Roman Catholic, and she's a friend of the family. And uh, she's got an interesting story to share. And it's on her Facebook page. So, And it's, it definitely is worth sticking around to hear it. <clears throat> And yes, I know, she's been there forever, and I know, how could you be there and not be an insider and all of it? 
and I'm not going to argue with that one bit. But once in a while, she does reveal a nugget here or there of truth. So I'm not supporting her one way or another politically. So, But last time I saw her, I gave her a big hug, and I didn't know what else to do. So she's a good woman. At least the family. I don't know. She might not be a good woman as far as what's going on in the world. <laughs> but again, you remember, she's a Roman Catholic. It's just rather think she's doing the right thing. Blinded. Why don't we just get back to this? What am I doing? Okay. Uh, so, okay, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, an heavenly Wherefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. By faith, Abraham, when he was tried, offered up Isaac. And he that had received the promises offered up his only begotten son, of whom it was said that in Isaac shall thy seed be called, accounting that God was able to raise him up even from the dead, from whence also he received him in a figure. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau concerning things to come. By faith, Jacob, when he was a dying, blessed both the sons of Joseph and worshipped, leaning upon the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when he died, made mention of the departing of the children of Israel and gave commandment concerning his bones. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw he was a porter child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. And by faith, Moses, when he was come, two years refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a reason, for season, excuse me, esteeming the reproach of Christ's greater riches than the treasures of in, in Egypt. For he had respect unto the recompense of the reward. By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Through faith he kept the Passover, the sprinkling of blood, lest he that destroyed the firstborn should touch them. By faith they passed through the Red Sea as by the dry land which the Egyptians are saying to do were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell down after they were compassed about seven days. By faith, the harlot Rahab perished not with them that believed not when she had received the spices with peace. Not spices, spies with peace. What the heck am I doing there? And... What shall I more say? For the time would fail me 
to tell of Gideon and of Barak and of Samson and of Jephthah, of David also, and Samuel and of the prophets, who through faith subdued kings, kingdoms, through righteousness obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, waxed valiant and fight, turned to flight the armies of the aliens. <laughs> Women received their dead raised to life again, and others were tor- tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. And others had trial of cruel mockings and scourgings, yea, moreover, the bold, the bonds and imprisonment. They were stoned, and they were uh, sewn asunder, were tempted, were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, and tormented of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and in mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And these all, having obtained a good report through faith, received not the promise. God having provided some better thing for us that they without us should not be made perfect. Okay. I'm thinking I'm going to go here real fast. See if I can find uh, this little article. And uh, let's see. I want to go there. You find it on her Facebook page, and then also Thomas Richard also found it. So, whatever it's worth. But if if you want to find it, you can. But let's look at Marcy with just her newest report. Forever it's worth, uh, not worth a dang, a dang, but, but I think it's a very interesting story. You can find it here. Shoot, it's got to be there. Ah, Gumby. You know, anybody who watched Gumby before, back in the, the cartoon from what, the sixties and seventies. And my son, he's like, uh, you know, three and a half now. I introduced him today to Gumby. He loves it. <laughs> he loves Gumby and Pokey. I never, I you know what I, we never had Gumby on television, so. So in and in, in a strange way, it's new to me too. I, I mean, I didn't even outside of uh, Eddie Murphy, I didn't know anything about Gumby. So. Where can I find this? 
Sorry for the pause here, but give me a little chance to find this article. And it's worth reading. Um, it's very interesting. Uh, Marcy, oh, there she is. Let's see if we can get this. So Representative Marcy Cafter. Yeah, I know. It's a very hard pill for me to swallow. I know that my family, the friend of the family is probably not that much of a friend, but fine words. Okay. <clears throat> I don't know if this is worth anything, but it's worth kind of reading a little bit. So this is uh, from... She posts this online for average word. Republican captor calls into into secure room in the basement of the U.S. Uh, Capitol, where members of Congress are allowed to read the nearly 1,000-page Trans-Pacific Partnership Draft Agreement. She had to leave her cell phone in the locker rooms on the left and was not allowed to take any away, uh, any notes, photos, or any copies. She is not allowed to talk about what she read with anyone unless they have top-secret clearance. For whatever it's worth, it's probably not worth anything, but I find that... uh, A fine example of what you were listening to earlier on the show with Keith and and Larry and uh, Wayne of the fact that I hate to say this, but this is a fine example. If really, if you could read between the lines, of the fact that our representatives, our Congress people, don't serve us; they serve somebody else. Certainly, if they served us, they should have a right to bring their cell phone, to make photos and copies, and let us know what the heck's going on. But apparently, they can't do that. She's getting old. She's getting old. (laughs) Uh, Okay. Give you an idea how close this, this this woman is to the family. My mom's right now doing a family portrait of her father, and her and her uh, mother and brother when she was a, a child. And it's not I'm not bragging, and I'm not you know certainly I'm not, I'm not worried about anything one way or the other at this point because <clears throat> nothing of any value is going to happen to me. <laughs> it's already happened to me, so. And uh, I'm certainly not jeopardizing her one bit. We've had many an interesting conversation. And, uh, you know, I guess the truth of the matter is she knows what's going on from my conversations with her. I don't know what to do about it. It's a read out. You think about all this stuff, man. You live in a world where you want to make a difference. You really want to change things, and you want to see things different with the people you care about, and you realize your hands are tied. Really. I don't know what you do except 
Do what Jesus said, love our we're supposed to love our our enemies. I don't know what else to do. I mean, Sunday I was in a uh, a friend of mine. She had uh, just graduated. It's another one of these single parent things, and just a friend and uh, three kids, and went to school and got her degree and. And just the stuff I was sharing with the people there, because, you know, it's hard to, to change gears. It really is. Doing this kind of stuff, and spend all day trying to raise a, a little kid, and then uh, it's really hard to communicate with anybody. And then inevitably, I'm starting to, to talk, share with them the things I've learned on the show and what I've learned in the past couple of years, and... Uh, it three or four times called crazy, nuts, madman. Uh, one guy just wanted to, you could see, see it in his eyes, he just snarling at me and hating me. Anyways, <clears throat> I talked about that the other show, so if anybody wants to hear about that, they can always go back there. Could go to there, so. Anyways, let's, let's go back to Hebrew, so. Now they got that out of my head. <laughs> Okay, Hebrews chapter 12. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed about with so great a cloud of witness, let us lay aside every weight, the sin which doth so easily beset us, and let us run with patience the race that is set before us, looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. For consider him that endured such uh, contradiction of sinners against him, lest Ye be wearied and faint in your minds. Ye have not yet resisted unto blood, striving against sin. And ye have forgotten the exhortation which speaketh unto you as unto children, my son. Despise not thou the chastening of the Lord, nor faint when thou art rebuked of him. For whom the Lord loveth, he chasteneth, and scourgeth every son whom he receiveth. If ye, des- if ye endure ch- uh, chastening, <clears throat> God deals with you as with sons. For what son is he whom the Father uh, chasteneth, chasteneth, excuse me, <laughs> not? But if ye be without chastisement, whereof all are partakers, then are ye bastards and not sons. Furthermore, we have had fathers of our flesh, which corrected us, and we gave them reverence. Shall we not much rather be in subjugation unto the Father of spirits and live? For they, verily, 
for a few days chastened us after their own pleasure, but he for our profit that we might be partakers of his holiness. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, that's for sure, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterwards, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. Wherefore, lift up the hands which hang down and the feeble knees, and make straight paths for your feet, lest that which is lame be turned out of the way, but let it rather be healed. Follow peace with all men and holiness, without which no man shall see the Lord. Looking diligently, lest any man fail of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness spring up trouble you, and thereby may be defiled. Lest there be any fornicator or profane person as Esau, who for one morsel of meat sold his birthright. <clears throat> Ouch. Like sometimes I wonder if that's what happened to us. <clears throat> sometimes I wonder that. I don't know. Why do I say that? Yeah, one of these days we'll talk about it. Anyways, you've heard it many times on this show. And uh, but, well, we're not. give the plug again one more time thinkorbebeaten.com you'll hear plenty of intelligent conversations about this. <laughs> They'll do a better job than me, that's for sure. For ye are not come unto the mount that might be touched and that burned with fire, nor unto blackness and darkness and tempest, and the sound of a trumpet and the voice of words which voice they that heard entreated that the word should not be spoken to them anymore. <clears throat> For they could not endure that which was commanded. And if so much as a beast touched the mountain, it shall be stoned and thrust through with a dart. And so terrible was the sight that Moses said, I exceedingly fear and quake. But ye are come unto Mount Zion, and unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to an innumerable company of angels, to the general assembly and church of the firstborn, which are written in heaven, and to God, the judge of all, and to the spirits of the just men made perfect. And to Jesus, the mediator of the new covenant, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. See that ye refuse not him that speaketh. For if they escaped not who refused him that spake on earth, much more shall not we escape 
if we turn away from him that speaketh from heaven, whose voice then shook the earth. But now he hath promised, saying, Yet once more I shake not the earth only, but also heaven. And this word, yet once more, signifieth the removing of those things that are shaken, as of things that are made, that those things which cannot be shaken may remain. Wherefore, we receiving a kingdom which cannot be moved, let us have grace, whereby we may serve God acceptably with reverence and godly fear. For our God is a consuming fire. Hebrews chapter 13. Should be it. Hebrews. I think. I think it's only 13. Let brotherly love continue. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember, <clears throat> I want to look at. I want to just look at this one sentence because I hear all the time this thing, this this sentence from people. It says. Be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Question. You hear all the time that people say that they're talking about the stranger being angels. Or is it the strangers were entertained by angels unaware? That's a, that's a sentence that's kind of perplexing to me. Yeah, I'm not the I'm not the sharpest tool in the shed, but be not forgetful to entertain strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. <clears throat> I'm gonna have to do a little research on that sentence to make sure I know what I'm talking about. I've been burned so many times from other people saying this is what it means. And then to find out later that that's not what it means. So I'm not going to say what it means. I'm just bringing it up. But that's something that is a sentence that always, is, for some reason, has troubled me. Maybe for most of you, it's common sense. Um, but for me, it troubles me. Anyways, remember them that are in bonds as bond and as bound with them and them which suffer adversity as being yourselves also in the body. Marriage is honorable in all, and the bed undefiled, but whoremongers and adulterers God will judge. Oh, that was my past. (laughs) That was me. That's my past right there, folks. Yeah, okay. Uh, Let us... uh, let your conversation be without covetousness, covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. So that we may boldly say, the Lord is my helper, 
and I will not fear what men shall do unto me. Remember them which have the rule over you, who have spoken unto you the word of God, whose faith follow, considering the end of their conversation. Conversation. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever, be not carried about with diverse and strange doctrines. Isn't that a challenge? I mean, that's a challenge for me. Because, you know, I, I didn't have a lifetime figuring this out, so it's only been a couple of years or so. But, man, I have been... I've had to dig through one strange and diverse doctrine after another. Goodness gracious. <clears throat> and every time you think you got it figured out, find out you don't. So, For it is a good thing that the heart be established with grace, not with meats, which have not profited them that have been occupied therein, we have an altar whereof they have no right to eat which serve the tabernacle. For the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary by the high priest for sins are burned without the camp. Wherefore Jesus also, that he might sanctify the people with his own blood and suffered without the gate. Let us go forth, therefore, unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach. For here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Isn't that interesting? For here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. Wasn't the city of Jerusalem there back, back then? Wasn't that prior to 70 AD? Point being, what we're seeing over there in the Middle East, Israel, and Jerusalem is not found in the Bible, folks. That is not of God. From my research, my study so far, it is from Rome. UN? Rome? whatever, or Jesuits, whatever you want to say. It's not of God, that's for sure. <laughs> you know, I really, it's interesting, um, too, as you, you look at the the numbers of quote-unquote Christians, of course, most of them I would consider Christians per se, I guess as far as because of being Roman Catholic, although that doesn't mean they're not believers in Christ, so it's certainly they could be saved, so don't want to judge too hard on that. But what's fascinating is the number has dropped to less than 2% of the populace now is Christian in Jerusalem. Yet we see all these people, these evangelists, these Christian Zionists, supporting a state is systematically killing Muslims and Christians, Catholics, etc. 
boy, have we lost our bearing. We have no clue what we're doing, doing. We really don't have a clue. The majority of us. And it gets it to makes me wonder why I'm doing this. <laughs> why am I doing this? But I keep plugging along, so okay, here we go. Where were we at with all this? Okay, for the bodies of those beasts whose blood is brought into the sanctuary. But okay, we read that. Um, uh, I want to skip something here. Okay, we're talking about this. And here we have no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice to praise to God continually. That is the fruit of our lips, giving thanks to his name. But to do good and to communicate Get not, for with such sacrifices God is well pleased. Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they that must give account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for it is unprofitable for you. That's a heck of a sentence there to swallow. Especially when you think, obey them. And I really think he's talking about the church. I don't think he's really talking about governments. And we look at the people that are supposed to be over us, ruling over us. Well, I hate to be a jerk about it, but at this point, from all my research and from endless, I mean, I spent thousands of hours now studying this like a possessed man-man, to just to find a true church. It's a church that was teaching not only the Word of God, um, it wasn't messed up in all this dispensational futurism and this uh, uh, Christian Zionism and this uh, ecumenical movement. But that's another thing that's mentioned in that show tonight. Uh, there's a lot of things that was mentioned in the show. That's like... It's definitely two hours worth listening to. That's why, the reason why I shared it with you folks. Plus, I'm hoping that you go, go there to his website, uh, Keith's website, which I had no idea Keith was going to be on the show tonight and check in. It might be the first time. I don't know. if. That <laughs> uh, but um, the reason why I'm supporting this, you know, think to think or be beaten is because it is excellent, and from the endless hours of trying to find something that was worth sharing with somebody on the Internet, well, it's one of the few things that's worth sharing. That's why I'm sharing it with you. So I hope you listen to it, maybe even help support it in some way. You can, <clears throat> you'll see what you can do there um, financially. Not that Keith or anybody's really asking for money, but there's ways you can help. Because you know what? The truth of the matter is, and I'm, I'm not just saying this because I, I, I have no reason to, to be a suck-ass to anybody. I'm not getting anything. I mean, I'm not asking for money from anybody else or a following or anything. So I'm just sharing you your my journey with you. So you really should check out Think or Be Beaten. That's why I keep playing it. It's not because I'm trying to do anything else, but share that with you so actually there's times I wish I could just play their 
his recordings all day long. <laughs> but that's not fair either. So, but I can support as much as I can. But anyways, where was that again? I get so sidetracked. I apologize, folks. You know who I who I am. So, okay. But yeah, I was talking about obeying your. Uh, obey them that have rule over you, and it's just turning out to be all these pastor wars that have been Jesuitly trained in these Jesuit-run seminaries. That's just for starters. Have no business ruling over us, and I don't know where to go. Because my feeling is, if I find a pastor, I should be able to have this kind of conversation with them, and they should be man enough to have the conversation, and not try to shut me down. They don't have to agree with everything, but they should be man enough to at least have the conversation. And they don't. I haven't found one yet. In fact, I've found nothing but, but hostility. Probably one of the reasons why I'm doing this show. <laughs> I don't know if you've ever had this experience, folks, but it's like, you know, you get kind of tired of having that conversation in your head. And you sit your, you know, I don't know if this sounds, some people might say this sounds nuts, but when you're going through this journey and you don't have anybody else to talk to, and you're basically talking to yourself, you might as well do something like this with the hope that somebody will listen. <clears throat> Since you can't, normal, for most of us, we won't have um, too many uh, meaningful, intelligent conversations with anybody else out there. Um, just how pathetic the whole times are, what the times are. Uh, there's guys like myself staring at a screen on a computer talking to it. Now, many of you folks will say that I'm crazy, and maybe they're right. Maybe it is crazy to, to hope to have the, uh, an honest, meaningful conversation with too many folks out there, especially in our personal lives. Maybe it is crazy. But I can also tell you something It's really crazy is to keep it inside you. I can tell you that much. It will make you sick. It will make your soul sick. It will make you jeopardize your health. You know, when I think about my own health issues, trying to perfect myself in an imperfect world, trying to meet up to the, the standards of the world, convincing myself that I've had all these faults and problems and it was my fault, and if I just fix myself, I really do think between um, whatever vaccines I got as a kid, or it could have been when I was on a more mission too, um, the vaccines they gave me then, and as far as the multiple sclerosis, the diagnosis, they is it even MS? I don't know. That's what the doctors say. <laughs> you know, the more you study this stuff, is it Lyme disease? Is it something else? I mean, who the heck knows? I've tried everything for nutrition and everything else. But anyways, one of the things I do see is how um, the stress of my life and trying to fix things, trying to fix me in particular. 
contributed to the exacerbations that I've had in the past, especially that happened five and a half years ago. What a heck of a time that was. You know, I was on the, I was on the railroad, and I was on a freight train. I was taking freight train to uh, Indiana. There's a... Elkhart, Indiana, in the the yard there, two and a half miles of trains, my brain just shut down. I was so sick, and the brain just shut down. It was was in August. I almost caused caused a major accident in the yard. After that, I knew my days were numbered. So I found out a year later that I had MS, but I remember that. I will never forget that day. That was one of the most distressing days of my life. But anyways, going back to this whole thing of fixing, trying to fix myself to self-help things and trying to be perfect, that somehow if I just get things right in my life, it would be perfect. I really think that that really contributed to uh, weakening my my health. And uh, why do I say that? Well, because it's... Since then, I've kind of looked and talked to others, did some research and that kind of thing. I've seen a lot of folks who try to clean up their acts, their lives. I don't think it's, I'm not saying it's a bad thing to do that. <clears throat> but um, I, was, I was doing it without God. I didn't know God. That's the reason why I'm reading this. Too. Another reason why I'm reading this scripture is because, you know what? I didn't know God, and I needed to do this. But uh, I was trying to do it on my own, and the stress of just doing it on your own efforts and not knowing how the world really works, how things are set up against you, the average man, uh, you know, because you're totally convinced that, you know, they're telling you over and over again, well, you have a victim's mentality type of thing. You've got to stop blaming everyone else. In, 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 in a lot of ways, they're right. But in a lot of ways, they're dead wrong. <laughs> there really is only so much that any man can do under their circumstances. And one of the best things you could ever do in your life is be honest about that. It'll save your heart and your body, your nervous system, a lot of un... Uh, uh, hardship and, and pain and suffering. You know what I mean? The, the, you don't want to end up like me. So, <clears throat> Living a hard, stressful life will lead you that way, especially if you don't know God. So anyways, pray for us. Pray for us, for we trust we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. What do you funny, in all things, willing to live honestly. What a interesting, you know, whole weeks of shows just on living, or just in all things, willing to live honestly. What a challenge that is. (laughs) <laughs> in a dishonest world. <clears throat> but I beseech you that rather to do this, that I may 
be restored to you the sooner. Now, the God of peace, that's the answer right there, the God of peace. And that's another thing that was brought up at the end of the, the recording. <clears throat> we to about a minute and 40, an hour and 40 minutes in the recording. They were talking about what the answer was, and it started out with, um, I think, Larry. And uh, I mean, the answer is Jesus Christ. And it is true. And honestly, it's true. And I know a lot of people will not buy into this and, until I tried it myself. And this is not about going to church and belonging to church and, and you know, showing off to people and saying, and just doing what we've always been trained to do, trying to convince people that things are great, you know. Hey, how you doing, Mike? Oh, everything's great. It's cool. Thanks. How are you doing? Oh, everything's good. No. God of peace. What does that mean? I think one of the things is when I think about God of peace, I think about doing this. Um, and the fact is to be honest about starting to be honest about things, even like Sunday and just, you know, speaking the truth and knowing full well that everyone around is just going to call you a nutcase and want to, beat you up and do all sorts of things, and I'm not exaggerating about that. I mean, you should see that one guy, <laughs> especially when I got we're talking about this quote-unquote star David. And the guy had this hexagram around his neck with that, you know, that hand. You ever seen that hand that they have? Uh, like you ever see the uh, videos or pictures of like Muslim taxi drivers in the Middle East and how that hand with the all-seeing eye in the middle of the palm? That's supposed to be about good luck. And, of course, he had that with a hexagram on top of it, the necklace. And I go, why are you wearing that? Why are you wearing it? <laughs> oh, it's something, you know, to do with Judaism. And I said, well, yeah, there's no, where's the, you get the idea there's a Star of David? You know, that was a concoction that happened very recently. And that, actually, that star you'll find, because his gal was wearing the uh, sun wheel, and that's the one, you know, that looks like the sailor's you know, steering ship thing. Like, you know, both those symbols you can find in temples th throughout the world. In India, in South Asia, and uh, on the, even in the Middle East, in Asia Minor. And, by the way, none of them are Jewish or Israeli, Israelite temples. In fact, there's only supposed to be one temple, right? <laughs> when he got mad or neck, and I said, well, why do you get so mad about that? Said, well, half my family's Jewish. And I'm like, okay, if you say so. <laughs> so somehow a sun wheel and the, all, uh, the, uh, uh, the hexagram on the palm of a hand has something to do with Judaism now. I don't know. <clears throat> the world's really getting nutty. And uh, I, I, for a man to get upset just having a conversation about it and putting so much faith in a necklace, a symbol, I mean, it says something. It says that 
God's not operating him. <laughs> so, I didn't say that to him, of course. I was being respectful. But anyway, it's just one of many things that happened that Sunday. It was just weird. I don't know. I just have a hard time functioning in the world. That's okay. So this goes back to this God of peace. has given me peace. There was a time in my life where it was absolutely necessary that I function in the world. I couldn't find peace unless I found a way to function in the world, hence a meaning in this life, in this world. And now things have flipped. And the only thing I can say is, is God. Of course. The only thing I can say, if you don't believe me, fall on your face and pray for peace. Pray for faith. Start reading the Bible and ask for to have true, you know, the best of ability, understanding of the Word of God, and learn to accept that there, there's a lot of bumps along the road. And yeah, the more you more you do it, the more and more you put more faith in God and His Word, and not in other people. Which is the way it should be, anyway. So. which before I knew God was complete reverse, if I'm honest. Okay. <clears throat> so, now, the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant, make you perfect in every good work to do his will, working in you that which is well-pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. And I beseech you, brethren, suffer the word of exhortation, for I have written a letter unto you in few words. Know ye that our brother Timothy is still at liberty, with whom, if he come shortly, I will see you. Salute all them that have the rule over you and all the saints. They of Italy, or they salute you. So they of Italy salute you. Grace be with you all. Amen. Written to the Hebrews in Italy by Timothy. Okay. How's it going, Gordon? Maybe you missed it. Uh, Keith was here. I must have drove him away with my reading. <laughs> Anyways, um, if you get a chance, pray for my friend Marcy. And she might come to the Lord and know the truth. Mm. I know this is going to be a tough one for us. You're not supposed to pray for her. Our enemies, but so it's here we see high bricks Dan. You're new, bro. 
Uh, uh, let's see. Mike Concordance says, a messenger. Angel sometimes means people. That's what I'm getting at. That's what I'm thinking, that that actually is talking. It's not a good chance. I don't know. I don't want to say it all. It's an interest. It's a very interesting sentence, and it's a very interesting thing to study on. So that's what I want to study on. According here, I got my child into Gumby recently too. How funny! <laughs> Isn't it funny? I mean, Gumby is one of the most wild things, man. I we watched like, thank goodness those those cartoons are only like five minutes long, man. If they were any longer, because they're the most frantic, whacked out crazy cartoons I've ever seen in my life. I mean, really, if we're really honest about it, if you watch a Gumby cartoon, it's like, uh, it's some of the most trippy stuff you ever see. And first of all, uh, I don't know if you've seen the episode. I can't remember. I don't remember the name of it, but it's got Gumby and he's on a tube and he's skateboarding one of those tubes and playing the electric guitar. And I'm like, this, isn't that like the '60s and Gumby's like skateboarding? <laughs> I don't know. I don't know the time yet. I haven't done any research on Gumby that much, so I don't know if it's, I, I'm assuming it's the '60s or the '70s, right? When Gumby came out, because I never really watched Gumby. You know, in fact, if I'm honest with you, Gordon, my first time I was ever introduced to Gumby was through Eddie Murphy. So I don't know. I have to look into that. I never really focused on it too much, you know. But, uh, anyways, it's one of the most tripped out things I've ever seen. But, you know, at least they're not uh, flashing uh, all this, you know, Illuminati, Luciferian symbolism all over the place. And they're they're not killing people. <laughs> at, that, at least I don't know. Maybe they do. I don't know. We'll see. But uh, so far, it's the only thing I've seen, they got they got like, these two bad guys, J and G, and they're blockheads. And they seem to do a lot of trying to steal bunkies, uh, bunkie, Gumby stuff. <laughs> but outside of that, oh, Gumby was fifties and sixties Art Cloakey, who made it. Also made Davy and Goliath for his Lutheran church. Oh, yeah, that's right. I remember hearing this. I don't know, did I hear that from you? I heard that from somebody. Maybe you guys were talking about that once on... Did you talk about that once with Keith on the show? Where did I hear that before? I've heard that before, that the, uh, the creator was also the one who made uh, Davy and, and Goliath. That was you. I heard that from you. That's where I heard that from before. That's right. Of course, count on you to get that. Um... Well, who the heck was it then, if it wasn't you? Who was talking about Gumby and the Luther Church connection? Who the heck was telling me? I know I heard that. Well, it probably had to do with somebody was talking about the Luther Church then. Huh? <laughs> probably in a video somewhere I heard it. But So it sounds familiar. It looks like you're looking for watchmen on the wall, shepherds of God's flock. Hi, Bricks Dan. What do you mean by that? 
if you're still there and listening. I don't know. Do you want to do? You, I don't know who you are. I can unmute you. If you want to talk? Um, and hopefully you won't be one of these folks that can sabotage my show, but it doesn't look that way. So. <laughs> And then if it's the case, then Gordon will have the the unfortunate opportunity to witness it one more time. Uh, would you like to talk, Hi, Bricks? Dan, share with me what your thoughts are here about Sounds Familiar. Looks like you're looking for a watchman on the wall. If not, the show is at three hours and 30 minutes. I mean, true, sincere Christians. Yeah, you're right. You know, I um, I went to a, a it's a um, very small uh, Baptist church. One that you know they don't believe in dispensational futurism and they um, Providence Confessional Baptist Church. Went there for the evening service on Sunday. I discovered it when having a conversation with Ryan Taylor on Saturday. And so we're talking about that, and he brought up uh, confessional. Um, what did he say? London Confessional, Windsor Confessional, Baptist churches. So I decided to look that up because I never thought about looking that up before. They almost get it. Some of them. <laughs> yeah, I you know, I'm still looking into it. I haven't joined it. And um it's really weird always talking to myself. Um Okay, check it out. Okay, I'll see if I can unmute you. Let's see. Oh shoot, try this again. Oh hello. Hello. Hi. Hi, Brick. Dan, how are you doing, bro? I'm doing good, thank you. How are you doing? Um, I'm doing okay. Yeah, <laughs> sounds like it. Yeah, just hanging you, out. You sound in the waves of uh, of waking up and realizing the vast majority around you will never do so. It's a process, that's for sure. I would not say uh, I'm not ahead of the game at all, but I'm certainly not like the majority of my life, so. Well, it's mind-boggling information to uh, first have a love for the truth regardless of where it's going to lead you and what you're going to learn, and then secondly, uh, accepting that truth, even though it goes against majority of what you've been taught and your hopes and wants and dreams, and <laughs> it's... it's uh, Stranger than, than any fiction, that's for sure. Isn't it? You know what? It, it is. It is. It's, it's, and it's also much more rewarding than anything I ever dreamed of. And you're talking about it's, a guy who yeah. used to be a musician and an, and an artist and uh, very much a man of the world. Okay. And I don't have any of that anymore in my life. But <laughs> what I have today is much, my life is much more interesting. Great <laughs> it's and it's you know, and it's uh, much more. Uh, I don't know how you describe this. Because it's a weird thing. Because you know, I, there's not a lot of people in my immediate life, 
and that's actually a, 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 an actually a wonderful blessing because uh, <laughs> you no longer have that chaos, the madness of the world. Does that make sense? Absolutely. Because <laughs> whereas everyone's chasing their dreams, well, they well they call it their dreams. Yeah. But the truth of the matter is, it's not really their dreams. It's somebody else's dreams or ideas that they implanted in their heads in the first place. And so let's be honest with you. Most of us never have had an original thought in our life. And I can certainly say that about myself as much as I like to think that I'm so original. <laughs> um, so, you know, chasing the dreams of the world, the American dream, right? That kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And... This, to leave all that behind, it makes life so much more peaceful. And even though I don't have much, broke as, as man could possibly be in this world, and the situation I'm in, without God, I would probably be one of the many people out there that end up suicide themselves, killing themselves, you know what I mean? Because they, the, they haven't met the standards of the world, and yet I don't even want it anymore. Praise God. You're being transformed, which is what Christ tells us he'll do. He'll give us a new mind. We'll hate what we once loved, and we'll love what we once hated. That's the the transformation process, as I understand it. Well, that's what's happening to me. That's for sure. I I can't argue that. So So what's your story, bro? What's going on? You say you've you've been looking to... Yeah, the church. Um, yeah, I've found it, but uh, six six years ago, started waking up and uh, realized I had, you know, maybe similar to Viz, where I had seen things here and there that kind of got filed back away, but I didn't really think about it. And then uh, just the financial collapse of 2008, how that uh, affected me being. Uh, newly married for a second time and uh, having a stepdaughter, mortgage, um, always chasing the dollar. Uh, it, it put me in, in some dire straits. And I think I, it was kind of two, two pieces that really woke me, were really waking me up. One was um, I've been an organic gardener for a long time, and hence the uh, call name there of Hybrix Dan. Um, I've known that uh, the soil's built up of many, many elements. And uh-huh. um, so I, I knew you needed to get those back in there, uh, be it kelp meal, lime, soft rock phosphate, green sand, other mineral elements, etc. cetera. Um, <clears throat> and try to condense it down. Long story short, I was trying to source uh, soft rock phosphate locally because I was paying as much for shipping as I was for the product. And I was sure there's got to be an organic farmer around who's buying the stuff by the ton and can part with a few hundred pounds here and there. Um, and found a guy who mixes uh, uh, fertilizers and minerals based on soil test results. Ah. And he started teaching me about growing high bricks, nutrient-dense foods. And this is under the uh, research of a man by the name of Dr. Kerry Reams, who was a student under um, Dr. Northern Albright. Can I, ask a question? can I ask you a question before we go any further? Absolutely. 
Yeah. Did somebody send did somebody send you to the show? No. <laughs> it's just okay, Providence. This, <laughs> this is yeah, Providence. I uh I check uh Biz's website every now and then. I I spoken with him um it was probably three years ago I first talked to him and um and just asked, the reason asked why I asked because he was actually yeah. he was in the he was in the chat room room earlier. I heard you mention that, yeah. And I was like, that was like the first time, and I just wondered. So I just wondered if he, he heard what I was saying. So that way, I'll say no, I, I listened to your Gordon Comstock uh, interview today, and then got uh, through part of your your interview with. Uh, you know Biz. Gordon? I do not know him. I haven't met him. I would like to talk to him actually, because uh, there was a. What's neat is, 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 is it all right to Gordon that. Uh, I'm not going to do it anyways. Gord, can you say hi to him? Because he's in the chat room. <laughs> I was wondering if that's who it was. <laughs> said Gordon it, might be, it might be a good thing for him to know you as well. We're both uh, <laughs> fathers trying to raise our kids so, in a healthy way. So it's interesting. Oh, no more, no more about this because it's always been something I've been interested in. In fact, I... Uh, for about two and a half years, I was able to get off the medication using nutrition. But Good. I end up having a major relapse. I end up getting the shingles and it set me off big time. So, okay. but I was, but I, I believe in it. I definitely believe in it. And I used to be a guy who uh, was into that. I actually was, although I, I was into like designing nature trails and native plants and all that. I, but I started hmm. to get into that uh, as far as organic farming a few years ago. Okay, just volunteering at a local church until the health got too bad. So, gotcha. But, but I'm definitely interested. So this sounds very interesting. Um, it is, and it's it's frustrating at the same time because I'm not I'm a perfectionist, and and uh, I want to know the right way to do um, <laughs> everything, whatever it happens to be. If it's woodworking or something I'm doing in in the trades or or gardening, what have you. Um, I I want to know what perfect in, is. And, in the trades, what trades are you in? You finished carpentry. Um, uh, carpentry, handyman work, um, custom woodworking, furniture. Cool. I do whatever whatever I can get to pay the bills. Very cool, man. Okay, sorry about that. I just wanted to know. So. Oh no worries, no worries. Uh, I was a blue collar man myself until I got sick. So. Well, I'm going to encourage I'm going to encourage you to. Keep searching that nutrition uh, route and try to, you know, <laughs> what, what what keeps coming to my mind today. I think I think you're you're all familiar with William Cooper, who was uh, pretty instrumental in uh, waking me up. Although I don't know that I agree with with all of his findings um, uh, and beliefs. I I do believe he was uh, a, a sincere guy and put a lot of truth out there for the masses who were seeking truth. Um, yeah, I think, yeah, I think he, uh, I have mixed feelings about him too. I think that his upbringing, his, up, er, his rearing in uh, Opus Dei didn't affect his understanding of the Bible. Yeah. But outside of that, you know, he did have some good things to share and he definitely influenced me. He was one of the guys, one of the folks that woke up me and uh, woke up many other people that I know. So, Amen. So one one sure. of the one of the one of the quotes he said that that stuck with me and I'm 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 
it's not ver- verbatim, but uh, he basically said, uh, listen to everyone, read everything, don't believe anything until you can prove it for yourself. And, yeah, uh, definitely, definitely, especially, you know what I'm discovering? Because I'm, I'm relatively new to be, you know, a follower of our Lord and Savior, Messiah, Jesus Christ, and my goodness, done. It's like a ping pong match for me, man. It's a bam, 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 bam. I'm starting to settle down, you know, starting to understand the the basic doctrines and everything and what it really means to be a follower. Uh, But my goodness, you you do. You have to challenge everything that anybody says, and it's not going to make you a very popular person. I've lost a lot of people along the way in this journey. Yeah, that's critical thinking, right? It's uh, questioning everything and. that's that's we're even listening to uh to Viz and Gordon. Um you know absolutely. I, I think I, it's I an absolute like... must an absolute must if you want to understand the world. I really and I'm not just saying that. I mean it's really sure. uh an absolute must, but go ahead. I was gonna say even though by by the way, Dan, uh, Gordon Gordon yeah. says hi. Gordon says hi. Hi, hi Gordon. <laughs> um even though Viz was instrumental, uh, I, I'm, I have to include the informer in James Montgomery because oh, uh, yeah. I, I don't even know how how it was I stumbled upon Viz, but uh, uh, I, I thank God that I did. Um, Actually, was, I must tell you it's something you probably don't know this, but I'll just interrupt. Uh, Gordon and Viz, he thought the ones that convinced me even to turn to the Lord of all people. I, I did hear that in your your interview today, and that's that you know that that's, uh, that's the that's the honest truth. I mean, I first heard Gordon like three and a half years ago, and I, I hope mean, we're not, should... I hope we're not making you uncomfortable, Gordon, talking this way. But it's truth, and I this show is called Nothing But the Truth. Well, my man's journey to find it. So, the truth is, these two guys are the ones that got me really questioning and asking questions and getting to the point of being humble enough to even fall on my face and pray to, and ask for faith and uh yeah. <laughs> and I can tell you no pastor could have done that. That's for a guy like me, you know what I mean? So that's too hard hearted. I had to listen to somebody who's a little more down to earth, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Well, praise God. He works in uh you know, marvelous and mysterious ways. Wishes that no one be lost. So, uh, it, yeah, that, that uh, you know, my heart jumps when I hear that because my belief is uh, there, there, <laughs> the only thing God values uh, in this world is soul. That's why Christ came, is to save us. That's why he left heaven, uh, became fully man, and lived much as we are and was tempted in every way that we have been tempted, and yet he did not sin because there needed to be a perfect sacrifice for the the cost of sin. So uh, that's that's wonderful to hear that uh, God's working in your life and uh, that you found yeah. him or that you've accepted him. So praise God. Yeah, absolutely. That's the only hope I have. It's the only hope I have. So, so tell us more about what you're doing here with this... Um, Organic farm because I'm very interested in that. Yeah, um, I'm going to drop some names if that's all right. 
so you can uh, do some homework on your own. Okay, no is problem. that all right with you? Absolutely. Okay, so my friend's name is Luke Lemmers, and his business is Fix My Soil, fixmysoil.com. And um, I'm still learning here. What uh, He works with a company, we're in Minnesota here, um, called International Egg Labs. And they started out um, primarily, I believe, working with farmers. And that's kind of a different animal than the home garden. Um, how you're going to treat your fields if you're growing corn is going to be completely different than if you're growing soybeans or you're growing wheat or oats. Um, there are some specifics uh, necessary for crops. But what they've tried to do is um, get a general program together for homeowners, um, small farmers, uh, you know, CSAs, things like that, where they can rebalance uh, the minerals in their soil based on a soil test and um, produce uh, top quality produce. And there's some... I've I've had some frustrations in it because the general guidelines isn't going to be perfect for every crop, like I was just saying. So you, you follow this, and you might find your peppers are doing wonderful, but your lettuce isn't doing as good. Yeah. And there, there again, that's where I'm the okay. I want to know exactly what it is for lettuce, what it is for um, tomatoes, what it is for peppers. I want to know the specifics, and that's. Uh, that's me. That's not everybody. Some people just, you know, most people you'll find are too lazy to want to do much more than drop some seeds in the ground and uh, eat the food. So <laughs> that's the world we live in. There's, there's too much TV to watch. You can't get outside. So, <laughs> uh, but uh, no, I um, it, there's there's information out there, and I'm I'm still a student. It's it's like it's like the Bible. You're never gonna. I, I don't believe we're ever going to fully exhaust uh, the knowledge, but uh, essentially what we're trying to do here is, is get back as close as we can to the Garden of Eden <laughs> type setting of ideal soil conditions um, for our for our crops. And uh, uh, food is the medicine that that God created for us, and so that's where you know I was encouraged to hear you you've done the nutrition route for. Uh, yeah, I did it. There was uh, uh, there, there was a uh, well. It's actually, I use what is called the uh, is a version of the paleo diet. There's a, a gal. Her name is Terry Walls. There's a T- Walls protocol, and she's a doctor who has MS. Okay. And. Um, she was able to reverse her symptoms through nutrition. Mm-hmm. I fully believe it. And what so, I what what I've discovered is there's lots of natural, vegetable, plant-based diets, you know, and, and treatment plans to uh, reverse disease. Um, oh, I believe it too. One of the problems I've noticed, though, when it comes to this, is is getting uh vegetables and fruits organic food you know or you know meat mm-hmm. that kind of thing grass fed beef that's actually organic I'm having a struggle yeah. with that that's my problem yeah. and then, you know the thing is too um 
uh, is uh, yeah, finding it and um, because you know the truth of the matter is, uh, I've noticed even a lot of stuff that's say in the grocery store. Mm-hmm. Uh, excuse me. It is. Well, yeah, well, it's suspect, and it's, it seems to not even be there. It's not. I mean, the nutrients that's actually supposed to be in it. Mm-hmm. How did you? Did you just left? You left the chat room. That can't be possible. Did you leave the chat room? Did you just? Oh, I didn't. On. It says you did. Anyways, I'm calling at. You uh, see, you can get hold of Gordon, so you can talk to him. That's um, all right. Yeah. No. Uh, you said you wanted to talk to him. I always wanted to meet him. So here we go. <laughs> no, it sounds good. Gordon, Gordon, uh, man. My phone just says connection to the server is lost. So yeah, I don't think the challenges it was that you're finding vegetables that are halfway nutritional wise. Oh, here we go. You're, you, Dan, have an echo going on. Are you there, Gordon? Yeah. Hey. Yeah. So I don't know. Dan, I don't know if it's uh, you, you re-logged into the chat room. Maybe you need yes. to unlog in the chat room so you don't have the echo. Gotcha. Let's see if that works. First time on talk shoes, so give me a moment. Okay, that's okay. As long as you just get that echo out or whatever that is. I hope you, you don't. If you fall off for some reason, come back in, okay? <laughs> I don't want you to fall off. How you doing, Gordon? How you doing, my friend? All right, Michael. So, did you have Viz on earlier? Uh, I didn't have him on the show, but he was in the chat room. <laughs> Got it. Okay. No, I didn't know that. All right. Yeah, he's the one. Uh, he would be in guest three, I believe it would be. All right. Let's go back into the chat room. You'll see it. <clears throat> Bless you. I think I drove him away when I started reading, so. <laughs> <laughs> you know how I mean, I bumble and stumble through the words. So, anyways, uh, you still there, Dan? Yes, I am. Still echoing. Uh, it doesn't sound too bad now. Right. Dan, meet Gordon. I... Gordon, meet Dan. <laughs> nice to meet you, Gordon. Hi, Dan. Nice to meet you. I. Uh, are, are we... I, I... Sorry, go ahead. I was going to say, I wish I was uh, gardening. I uh, I miss it. What part of the country are you in? On the west coast. Okay. Yeah, we left the house not too long ago, so I don't have a place to garden. (laughs) Sorry to hear that. What about the orchard business thing? What's what's up with that? Is that just... Moved on from that, Gord? Orchard business? Well, you didn't really have a business, but to, per se. But you, didn't, you like uh, a couple of years ago, you were putting all these trees in for. Oh well, yeah, that was just a uh, for the a project my wife, now ex-wife, got me into, and come to come to realize she and the neighbor whose land it was, they it was weird. They they got me all rip roaring into it, and they really didn't want it. They let the trees all die. It was amazing to see. Really sad. Yeah, well, sorry to hear that. So that's a lot of work. I know that's a lot of work. Yeah, I mean, and that was, I guess, the culmination when you're in a marriage, and no matter what you can do, you can't please the person. It's that really is the 
the, the final red flag. You know, I'm not going to be able to play this person ever. <laughs> yeah. Oh, it's like I was, I don't know if you, you got my email, last email, but sometimes, and sometimes we realize that's the, by letting go of the dysfunctional relationship that we're in, you know what I mean? You try and you try and you try and you try to please somebody that you just can't please sometimes by just moving on. It does, it, down the road, it actually does you a lot of, some wonders as far as your health goes, yeah. and your sanity, your mind, your peace. <laughs> well, the, well I'll, I'll bring it back to, to Dan here after this. What, our last point about that is that th- the major thing I took away from that, learned the hard way, was uh, the real paucity, the, the dearth of decent uh, Christian counselors out there and uh, I'm sorry to say that the hireling shepherd pastors are some of the worst you could possibly talk to <laughs> if you are, if you're the husband, if you're the husband, because they, they sense that they're somehow in the back of their head. I think they sense that they're a licensed creature. And when they're, they're really terrified to call a wife under the carpet because feminism has so infiltrated the churches, the, the incorporated churches. Yes, yeah. it is. Yes, it's, it's quite it's, a tragedy. Um, it's quite part a of the enemy's strategy. Yeah, yeah. I mean, what what is what is the purpose of marriage? Why did God create the institution of marriage? It's to reflect Christ and His Church. So why wouldn't uh, Satan want to destroy that? Well, and uh, yeah, and uh, boy. Um, what you will find if maybe if somebody may have, uh, if you're a husband and you go through one of these counseling things with these people, you will encounter this, I, I think. If, and because it's probably a common occurrence, but if a wife decides she's not going to have sex anymore, uh, and you bring that up, <laughs> and um, it, you, you, they, I'm going to call him Hireling Shepherd, okay, but the pastor, they're so timid to, they're very, in a very mild, sheep-like way, they'll admit that that's a sin in Scripture, but then they'll immediately turn it and put it back on the husband and say, well, you're not, you must not be making her feel loved like Christ loved the church, and so that's not, that's why she's not engaging in sex anymore. So you see, what they've done is elevated the, the fickle moods of the wife above Scripture. It's such a huge blasphemy. <laughs> it's amazing. It is. It's, it's, <laughs> it's like uh, we have nobody out there to, to, to back us up anymore. It seems like no. this point is just each other. That's about it. We don't even have... Once again, you know, it goes back to with Hebrews and the whole thing about uh, when I was reading in Hebrews about the leadership, right? And how we're supposed to honor them when they're not being leaders. How do you honor them? How do you listen to them? How do you follow them? You know what I mean? They're not being good shepherds. So what the <laughs> I, so you look to the scripture and you look to the examples. What, what did Daniel do? You know, that's who comes to my mind. Obviously, my name's fake, but uh, what did Daniel do? He allowed them to change his name. Um, he learned their language. 
he went to their schools, but then when they came to wanting to change his diet, that's where he drew a line in the sand, as it were, and said, no, I'm not going to do that. I'm not going to defile my God. I'm not going to defile my body, which he knew from his upbringing was his temple. Sadly, we haven't been taught that from our parents who have been taught misinterpreted scripture, uh, you know, many of them well-meaning, but uh, <laughs> you got to remember that deception's everywhere and it is in every aspect of life. And uh, Satan doesn't need to do much with worldlings. They're already doing their thing. They're making themselves gods and things, their idols, whatever. Satan wants to destroy God's church, God's remnant people, those who sincerely want to follow him. So uh, the, the Bible's the answer book. What, what did I hear a pastor say? Basic instruction before leaving earth. You know, that's, that's the acronym for the Bible. And uh, I keep finding that to be more and more true.
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.